Welcome to the Three Old Goalies Podcast, a delusion group podcast. The Three Old Goalies are brought to you by thesquad.com because everybody loves the W. Check out the squad for all your recruiting needs. Music for the show is provided by the Floodgate Operators. Be sure to check them out on Apple Music or Spotify. The Three Old Goalies Podcast is not for goalkeepers under the age of 17. And now we send you over to Boa, Evie, and Bone, the Three Old Goalies. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Three Old Goalies. Uh, we've actually got a full house tonight. Uh, uh, producer Ryan has got us rolling, and um, uh, we have a very special guest tonight, coach or coach player, coach Thomas Rongren, who has been uh, a, a, a pillar in building the game in the United States for sure. Coach, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And uh, I will go ahead and introduce my partners in crime, Greg Deutsch from Cincinnati and John Boa from beautiful Boulder, Colorado. And, there we go. Uh, um, we will, without further ado, we will turn it over to Greg Deutsch, who does all of our interviews, Coach, and enjoy because he, I call him the Mike Wallace of soccer. He'll, he'll <laughs> deep into the subject. So. Love so. it. So thanks a lot. And go ahead, Greg, you're on, buddy. All right. Well, thank you again, Thomas, for doing this. I know it's been a busy uh, week, um, but thank you. We are very, very excited to have you on. And uh, I know John Bowe's got questions for you. I know Ryan's got questions. Um, so I just want to let, you know, our listeners and viewers know, not only do we have a former professional NASL player, we also have a former MLS uh, coach of a few teams, also a uh, former member of the United States men's national team, also coached the U-20 men's national team uh, for two consecutive runs. Um, Actually, three. And, and our first three. time. Our three. first time. We have a movie star. <laughs> yes. We have a we movie do. star. So I know viewers and you know listeners, you're going to have to listen to all this, but that's going to be toward the end. Um, very, very excited to have Thomas talk about that. So, Let's sort of get started a little bit. Uh, Thomas, obviously, you grew up in the Netherlands, Amsterdam. You came over um, back in the late 70s, um, and your first year you got to play with Johan Cruyff and under uh, Renus Michaels. What type of experience was that? Awesome, obviously. I mean, I'm from Amsterdam, so Ajax is my team. Uh, Renus Michaels, that, that turned Ajax in the late 60s, early 70s, when we went to four. Uh, consecutive European championships, won three of them. Uh, the 74 World Cup team that Migos put together that became Total Football and Clockwork Orange, laid the foundation with Cruyff in Barcelona, where many, many coaches, in particular Pep Guardiola, still talk about uh, Johan Cruyff and, and, and Rinus Migos. So if you talk about the last century, two of the most influential people in the world of football you know if you have to pick the top 10 they're they're probably in the top three in my opinion Cruyff did as a player as a coach obviously and also as a uh, you know front office person at Barcelona for a few years and he shaped the game quite frankly that we're, we're still playing today um, and as I said Pep Guardiola is probably the greatest examples by referencing Cruyff pretty consistently with that so uh, I was young. I was uh, finishing my last years of my master's in, at the University of Amsterdam. Um, 
in 78, I was part of the Dutch amateur team, which was the Olympic team. We played five games in the United States, uh, two in California, San Diego, San Fran, Kansas City, uh, D.C., and, and New York. And our head coach became ill, so Rinus Migos took over that trip. And, and flying from San Fran to San Francisco, um, he was at the window. I was next to him in the middle seat, sweating, because this was the great Rinus Migos. And at that time, I was 20 years old. Um, and he said, looking out of the window, what do you think? And we were just going over the Rocky Mountains. And let's be real honest, America is just incredible in terms of a geographical and, and, and everything that comes with it. every state is like a different country, you know, and, and uh, we have to go very far east or south to see anything like that because you won't come to Belgium or Luxembourg or northern France or Germany where you drive two or three hours south, east or west and you're in a different country, but not with the incredible landscape resources. And I went, wow, that's really cool. And I said to him flippantly, I said, I'm almost done with my studies. I'm going to backpack through the United States for a few months. That's, that's going to be my reward. And I'm going to save up for it. Fast forward, probably three months later, I get a call from him. And he says, I just, Thomas, I remember his, Thomas, I just became the coach of uh, a team called the LA Aztecs in the NESL. I need a cheap player. You get $1,000 a month. Uh, you got to share a car with an American in an apartment. Are you coming? Uh, and I looked at my parents because I want an answer now. And I said, absolutely. So I thought I went on an adventure. And here we are 44 years later. I'm, I'm still here. So if it wasn't for Meagles to go on that trip and remembering, because he, he referenced the story, remember when we flew over the Rocky Mountains and blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, he said, I, I thought of you, actually. Uh, if I don't go on the trip, if he doesn't get go on the trip, uh, it probably never happens because I was not a big time player. Uh, at that particular time, but I must have impressed him enough during that trip uh, for the Dutch Olympic team and in that specific position, the number six position, that was back then really a destroyer, which I was, you know, uh, get it and find Johan Cruyff as often as you can, simply, <laughs> and don't do anything uh, else. Um, yeah, that's that's where it all started. So that was that was pretty, pretty cool. And then you know, you become members with George Best, uh, Gerd Mueller, who at that time still was the all-time leading goal scorer in World Cup history, you play against Beckenbauer, Trevor Francis, and you guys are from, you know, that era, you understand, and you dabbled also on that level, um, what the NASL in particular, when Pele arrived through probably 84-ish, 85 for 10 years was just uh, a bit of a fad. Uh, Sex, drugs, and rock and roll party atmosphere was brilliant. Studio 55, whatever you want to call it, 54 for that matter. Uh, but it was a great, great experience for me, obviously, and, and, and laid the foundation. I found out very early I wanted to be a coach, and, and Cruyff and Renus Meagles, and my roommate in DC United, Wim Janssen, that also played and started for the Dutch national team. Um, in the World Cup in 74 were great mentors for me to lay a foundation for my coaching philosophy and eventually become a high school college and an MLS coach and 320 World Cups and Olympics, a World Cup in 98 and assistant coach as well. So chief scout of the U.S. men's national team and all those experiences from them I, I, I used going forward to, up till this day. 
Yeah, I was going to share with, uh, again, our listeners and viewers, you know, not only was he with the L.A. uh, Aztecs, he was with the Washington Diplomats. Uh, They folded, went to the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. They became the Minnesota Strikers. Um, Also played indoor in the MISL. Uh, Also, interestingly enough, John Boa played in South Florida um, with the South Florida Sun, uh, lasted six games. Um, and better yet, better yet, I, I did not know this lead league existed. The Lone Star Soccer Alliance. Um, wow, there you go. The Houston Dynamo, um, and that was, yeah. that included Dallas Express, Austin Thunder, and the San Antonio uh, International. Uh, how they got through, Thomas, how did you guys get through six games of that season? <laughs> six games. But the most important game was we played Brazil, and Pele was a guest player during that time, and that was a big draw for us. And we, the owner was a a rich uh, oil magnate, uh, and and I said a majority of those owners were all in the oil business. And within a month, the oil business tanked, and these guys just lost millions, billions for that matter. So the league folded, but we got one game in in Houston against. Uh, Against Pele, which is pretty cool, actually. Oh yeah, uh, Glenn da- Glenn Davis, uh, Keith Weller was the head coach of the team, and that was that was my last team actually before it all really collapsed and and I got into uh, coaching. Yeah, yeah the Lone met- Star League. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we dig deep here on the show. Um, you know, you were you know with the uh, Fort Lauderdale Strikers, um, and I just want to share with some people who played on that team. Obviously. Uh, Ray Hudson, uh, famous goalkeeper Jean Van Veveren, uh, the backup Jim Teton's uh, an American, uh, IU standout Robert Meshback, who I remember, Branko Saguda, the Canadian man, uh, John Boa, you're not going to believe this. Who do you think the best player out of Peru is ever? Best player out of where? Peru. Peru. Cabillas? Yep, he played with him. There you go. He mentioned, he mentioned before that Gerd Mueller. I mean, what was what was it like? Take us through, you know, a little bit of that season um, because, I mean, these are incredible. Those two are incredible uh, stars. I mean, Cabellas, one of two people to score five goals in two different World Cups. Yeah, pretty pretty stunning, as I said again. And you look at that, that, that list and the axis, and um, Gordon Banks uh, was part of, not of that team but played for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Um, Elias Figueroa, if you ever Google Elias Figueroa, they say he's the best center back that ever played the game in the world uh, from Chile, uh, played on that team as well. Arsene Auguste played uh, Haitian, played in the 74 World Cup for Haiti when they, uh, when they tied uh, uh, Italy. Um, and the list goes on from the players you mentioned, Bernd Holzenbein, that group Mueller, obviously, Brian Kitt, Manchester United, former player. Uh, Ray Hudson, Nene Kubias, uh, brilliant. I, I was younger than most of those legendary players, almost by 10 years. Um, and I, I soaked it up. I, I, I had an academic um, teaching background. So I, I, I loved to learn and I knew I wasn't a great player. So I needed to be a good student of the game. And I, I could not have asked for uh, better uh, coaches, better teammates that took their time to explain that to me. My roommate was Gert Mueller at that time because I spoke fluent German 
uh, and I learned a lot from Gert. Uh, Nene, I spent many days to the football and technical side going forward as well. It was just brilliant, absolutely brilliant to be part of not only that team, but uh, the LA Aztecs as well. Uh, the Chicago Sting eventually, Carl Heinz Granitza, uh, wow. Pato Mahertic, and all those guys uh, gave me inspiration to further my knowledge of the game in, in, in all the different uh, facets of it, technically, tactically, physically, emotionally, whatever, whatever it might have been. So I would say if you look at Thomas Rongen's blueprint and playbook as a coach, I can mention all those players that all contributed, some only for 2%, others for 50% in the Kings Meagles, but I, I, I soaked it up. And, and, and one of my best experiences were those years in the NESL, uh, not only because of the playing part, but I got to see the world on somebody else's dime. Uh, you know, one weekend you're in Vancouver, the next weekend you're in, uh, you're in DC, you're in San Fran. Uh, absolutely brilliant and and you know due to the fact that a lot of uh, transfers and, and and teams folded and leagues folded and i coached four mls teams that means you got you know you got fired once in a while i lived in 16 different cities in this country and every city i found something absolutely stunning uh, so you know I'm, i i love sports so here I am at Cruyff, sitting front row next to Jack Nicholson, watching you know the Lakers in their heyday. Here I am playing indoors for the Chicago Fire or for the Chicago Sting, sorry. And who is the Rookie of the Year? Michael Jordan, playing in the same building at that time, the old building in in Chicago, indoors, where both the hockey, the indoor team, and the basketball team. And quite frankly, the indoor team for two years drove more people free you know, uh, Michael Jordan, then the Bulls, for instance, uh, brilliant, uh, Boston, you know, Incredible. again, we, 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 we found in every city, a perspective other sports team that loved soccer, you know, which is great. Most kickers in the NFL are, 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 are former soccer players, uh, Venturi, for instance, Italian, you know, so he gave us tickets to, uh, the Patriots and he would give them tickets to the new England revolution to just to force fast forward. Omar Casillapara to play for the Boston Bruins. Uh, played with Joe Max Moore in high school. You know, Joe Max Moore, uh, the soccer player. So we, we, we were able to soak it all in, be at the greatest venues and stadiums in all sports for that matter. Uh, because every road trip back in the NESL was, uh, was three days. So you had some time to, to plan certain things. Um, so outside of the fact that I had a great education on through some of my dearest uh, teammates. Um, I also became very <laughs> cult uh, cultivated in regards to uh, understanding strength and weaknesses of particular cities. Yeah, what did, you know, obviously playing for the indoor uh, Minnesota Strikers and later on Chicago Sting, um, People forget the owner, you know, Lee Stern, obviously a legend in, in uh, this country. Yeah. Uh, also got to play under Willie Roy. Uh, you mentioned Carl Heidstrenitz, who I got to I got to play a game uh, against outdoors when they scrimmaged in Orlando when I played for UCF. Hardest shot I ever faced, I will say that. What was 
the adoption light going from outdoor to indoor for the first time when you said, you know, what am I getting myself involved with in this crazy game? You know, because it, it wasn't futsal. It was really, a, you know, American ping pong. Yeah, it, it certainly was. And, and for players like myself that weren't technically uh, <laughs> very good, uh, I had my struggles in indoors, no doubt about it. Uh, there was some sexiness about indoors, uh, smaller arenas, fans right on top of you, uh, smoke bombs, cheerleaders, uh, higher scoring. And that was one of the reasons why the NESL owners said, hmm, maybe we get a venture into the indoor game because that might be more an American game than the outdoor game. Uh, it didn't happen. And, and there were some guys that excelled. Over I had a tough, I had a tough time, uh, <laughs> quite frankly. But I, I embraced it as I, I, I did in most uh, uh, other games, be it indoors or outdoors. I enjoyed my Chicago experience with really Roy, uh, you know, eccentric uh, head coach. Uh, some of the Germans there, you know, from Granitza all, all the way down to some other ones. I remember walking in the first day. I got traded from the. Minneapolis or Minnesota strikers that were initially the Fort Lauderdale strikers and Joe Robbie, who was actually from Minnesota, moved the yeah. franchise to uh, uh, to Minneapolis. And when I got traded, you know, as most teams do, you play a rondo before practice starts. Guys come 15, 20 minutes and you play five versus two. And, you know, it's fun part. Who's actually lacking one player because they're playing four versus two and we normally play five versus two. And I try to get engaged and they look at me and go, uh, excuse me, you don't belong here, uh, and and you're and you're from the Netherlands. So that group was predominantly German, and pretty much looked at me as a Dutchman and went, "Get out of here." Uh, oh, so I, I assume that the Second World War was still still somewhat uh, in their thorn, but that was a bit of a rude awakening for me, you know, because I I was always welcomed at other clubs, but that was a tight knit group that didn't allow a lot of people to penetrate the German side of the locker room, so to speak. And it became uh, toxic after a few years as well. So I learned from that and how to be a good teammate or not a good teammate. Yeah. You, you, you know, you alluded to, you got into coaching, you know, that was your background um, educationally. I'm, I'm curious. So you started in high school as the assistant coach at uh, Pope John Paul II in Boca, Raton, Florida. Yep. Uh, two years later, you're the head coach. I'm curious, why did it take two years to become the head coach? Because <laughs> he didn't that's have a, any, a, he didn't have any <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when the NESL collapsed, most international players, I would say almost 90% went back. And I was still young, and I enjoyed this country, and I wanted to give back something. So I... I I have two guys, but I had no idea how to run a business, but we did okay, actually. Uh, I yeah. became a, a, a director of coaching uh, for the Plantation Eagle Soccer Club, one of the first TDs probably in this country when nobody had heard of that. I, at that same time, I became a, an assistant coach at Nova Southeastern. And during that time, actually, um, some leagues popped up. So whenever a league popped up, Fort Lauderdale Strikers were part of that either. No Lemon was the owner. Uh, the traffic group, the Brazilian guys, you know, uh, had a team all called the Strikers, obviously. Uh, so I had multiple jobs. That's why being an assistant at Pope John Paul just made some sense uh, because it would be a great learning um, to learn my trade, so to speak, you know, which I did for two years. I, I put the cones out for the head coach. 
I measured the uh, the squares, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then I became a head coach, and I found another yo-yo to be my assistant coach and do the cones. Uh, that person do the cones. So uh, I wasn't too worried about it. I knew my trajectory. I wanted to go you know, to the highest level. And all of those little things, I think, impressed uh, Farouk Qureshi in 1996 when I interviewed for the... Um, the mutiny, the Tampa Bay mutiny uh, uh, job in the first year of, of, of MLS. Uh, and there was a lot of big names, by the way. And I was really a nobody. I've never really coached on a professional level. I sell championship with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Um, late 80s, I think, 90s or something like that. Uh, but he picked me because I think he, he felt I had done my, my due diligence. Um, and so I, I benefited from all the groundwork and all the hard work at that time with cones in the back of my car, balls, bips, uh, you name it, I had it. Um, and then fast forward to, you know, MLS, the U.S. Men's National yeah. Team, where the support staff is so much deeper. Uh, I, I look back at those periods and said, you know what, that's, that's where you laid the foundation, uh, TR. Yeah, it's interesting. Um as I did some of this research. So in August of 1988, you're hired as the head coach of South Plantation High School. Uh, in February of 89, you're hired as the head coach of the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. What a big jump within six months. And uh, as you alluded to, you won the league title then. Uh, share with us that sort of journey. You know, you're, you're at one level and then kaboom, you know, here you are at the next level. Yeah, when, when the league went down, the guys that stayed here, which was more most of the younger guys, also the guys that didn't earn a lot of money. The, the highest I earned guys in the NESL, and that's true, uh, was $48,000, where the majority of the big-time international guys were making good coin, but I, I didn't care. I was happy. My first contract was 12000 in 79. I went from 12000 Negotiated with Ellen Rothenberg, who was the head, who, who was the who was the president of the LA Aztecs and and co-owner, to twenty four thousand because I scored actually five goals of set pieces. I was pretty good in the air, and then uh, at DC, the diplomats, I got a raise, and eventually I got to forty eight thousand with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, you know, with with Joe uh, Joe Robbie. So when it all collapsed. I had to find income. I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's on there, but I taught languages at Berlitz, uh, Dutch and, and, and German, because I'm fluent in, in, in both. Again, the soccer locker. I started up a, on a high school uh, level uh, because the stipend season plus another 12,000 for uh, plantation high school plus another five at Nova plus another six at uh, plantation Eagle Soccer Club as a technical director plus another... 18 at the end of the day uh, with with uh, with the business I run the soccer locker I got back to like 48 and I tried to stay at 48 and then eventually when the leagues came back uh, life became not necessarily better but there was more uh, finances so uh, you have to be patient you have to work hard stay within the system uh, be relevant uh, as you could be and, and thank God I stayed for Lauderdale. Um, when on three different occasions, uh, the footballers were wrestling. Uh, and I was always part of that, first as a player, and the last two times as a, as a, first as a player, then as a player head coach, and eventually as a head coach as, as well. Yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, Nova. Uh, 
And if people forget, you know, it's uh, Nova. He, co- he was the head coach of Nova Southern, the men's program from 1991 to 1995. In in those four years, he went 50 wins, 35 losses, six ties. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. He was inducted there in, in 20, uh, 2008. Um, what do you remember about uh, coaching? I mean, I think people forget, Thomas, that conference, which is a Division II conference, uh, it's called the Sunshine State Conference. It's one of the toughest conferences uh, in the country for Division II. Um, and year in, now, year in, year out, I would say, you know, the top four teams uh, are usually in the top t- top 25. You know, what was your experience like? You know, A, you know, first, now you got to recruit kids, right? You know, so that was a, obviously a, a different experience for you as well. So share with us, you know, the journey through uh, for those couple of years. Yeah, it was it was it was really cool. Actually, back then, uh, Greg, it was um, NIA. And then after, yeah, after I left, it became D2. And one of the great things about NIA was and since Nova Southeastern University uh, at that time had three or four majors, a lot of international students were interested in. So half my team was Scandinavian. And I'm telling you, at that time, uh, it was not called Lynn University yet. I think it was the College of Boca Raton. And us, we play against the FIUs. The FI, we would we would hammer Carl Kremser and, yeah. and FIU, for instance. <laughs> because, you know, our, our level was pretty darn good. And, and, oh, yeah, and at that time, absolutely. you, you yeah. go up to Belmont, you go up to uh, West Virginia and Wesleyan, where you run into the national team of Nigeria, you know, I mean, in the NIA. <laughs> Because a, there wasn't there wasn't an age restriction, and you could fuddle a little bit with uh, former pro the NCAA. You you, you couldn't do. Uh, we had some, I had some big time teams, man. I'm, I'm telling oh, you, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah. FIT Melbourne College. Yeah, there you go, baby. Yeah, there you go, baby. Bunch of English guys that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, was, that was that was a great great experience. Uh, uh, for me and 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 again uh, i'm in the hall of fame although i'm dutch we don't do hall of fames but it's i, I guess <laughs> anybody i talk to always finds it very special you know so I'll, oh I'll absolutely absolutely yeah you know you mentioned um you know the first year of the mls in 1996 you were the tampa bay mutiny uh coach uh you also won the title and coach of the year a couple of years later you you know you hang out with the revolution you go to DC in 1999, win the MLS Cup championship. Um, what were those first, you know, few years? You know, you're in a new league. You don't know what's going to really happen. Um, it seems like it was very, very chaotic. Um, and were you sure the league was going to make it? No, that's a great question. No, obviously, we were all excited. I was talking about ten teams, I think, in that first year. Was it ten or twelve? I can't even remember. And 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 we sat in in, in rooms with the prospective coaches, owners as well. And with Sunil Galati and, and, and Ivan Gazidas that pretty much ran MLS in the first few years. Let's be, let's be real honest, uh, looking at, how, you know, put this forth and, and how we could survive. I mean, it was, it was pretty unique, uh, to be part of that group. I, I was part of that a little bit before that, because due to the fact I played in the a- a- APSL, uh, Sunil had contacted me in the, late 94 and said thomas you're probably 
know more players in this country or internationally why don't you help me recruit players from indoors from outdoors whatever that we can bring to a combine in san diego which i remember there was like 800 players <laughs> 10 <laughs> coaches uh we had to pick the initial first year 1996 20 you know 20 players in the draft uh, if they're set up in all the respective cities all these tryouts and that travel with Ivan Gazidis are brought to sign players actually from Valderrama to Donadoni to whomever, you know. Uh, and then yeah. Sunil strategically would place him in, you know, the better cities in terms of, um, you know, yeah, obviously Donadoni's got to be in, uh, it's got to be in, in, in New York, uh, whereas a Polish player should be in uh, Chicago, whereas okay. a Mexican yeah. player, the goalkeeper yeah. obviously, yeah. should be in, in, in LA. Um, but I think it was in when I was with New England uh, in '98. I asked Sunil for a trade, and he said, "Thomas, uh, I, I don't think we're going to make it. Uh, this could be last only a month." And it happened one more time in 2001 as well, when Sunil said, "They're suffering a lot of losses. Um, some of the owners who every." three months had to empty up millions and millions to keep this thing going, obviously. And some of them missed their payments. So that's when end shoots appeared. That's when the Huns all of a sudden owned three teams. So we went through some trials and tribulations, retractions, obviously. <laughs> there's no more uh, mutiny. There's no more fusion. There's no more, you know, we added some and uh, we looked fairly healthy, but we went through some really interesting years. The first six years was, was not, you know, uh, player acquisitions. The salary keep was salary cap was really low. Uh, you had some owners there that had really no keen understanding what uh, the hierarchy and tradition of the game. They wanted midgets as goalkeepers. They wanted to make the goals bigger. They wanted to change <laughs> rules to make it more attractive, including you know the Metro Stars guys. That has changed now a little bit. Uh, but I remember vividly sitting in some meetings and thank God for Bruce Arena, myself, Ziggy Schmidt, Kevin Payne, uh, Lamar Hunt, um, you know, saying, time out. <laughs> We're not going to change the game. This is a game that's been played for hundreds of years. Um, yes, we want attractive football. Yes, nobody uh, losing games, which it wasn't true, by the way. So, <laughs> But they pretty much said, we'd rather see five, four games than you know, one nothing games. Uh, that was the uh, uh, the thesis a little bit in the first first few years. That, that changed real quickly when the first coach got fired and coaching became tighter and winning became more important. Um, but yeah, th those were wild, interesting, uh, educational, and, and and some crazy years where it was touch and go a few times. And look where we're at right now. So they stayed the course. And, and and the last franchise I just read went for what, 500, 600 million San Diego plus a stadium. Yeah. You know, you talk about uh, franchise fees have gone from, I remember um, Ellen was part of the uh, initial galaxy uh, for 5 million. Uh, all the initial franchises, these guys put in 5 million. Uh, look what the 5 million now is for the crafts for $500 million, for instance. So these guys that stuck with it from day one, um, if they want to sell it, are going to make some incredible 
profits, obviously. Yeah. Um, again, for our listeners and viewers, you know, he was also involved with uh, Chivas USA um, and worked with the Toronto FC uh, Academy director. Um, but, you know, in, in 2001, um, you get to work with the United States national team. 2007, you take over um, and lead the U.S. <clears throat> into the Under-20 World Cup. Um, what was that experience like? Um, as far as, A, the selection of the players, were there any really good stories? Um, because that, that team, you know, in that World Cup, they tie South Korea one-to-one. They beat Poland six-to-one. People forget Freddie Adu had a hat trick. Uh, Josie Adore had a goal. The next game, you beat Brazil two to one. Altidore has two goals. So now the expectations, you know, out of nowhere, all of a sudden you're in the next round. So share with us that journey, um, you know, and obviously we'll get to the 2009 World Cup as well. You know, so let me, hey, Ryan, just so you know, because the coach, you know, was with the former national team. I just had to, you know, dress appropriate. So you knew that. So go ahead, Thomas. Well, yeah, I got to, I got to just slap you on your wrist a little bit because you, you did great research, but I, I also, uh, I was the head coach starting in 202. I took the other 20s to their okay. first World Cup in two, in 203. And that team was, uh, Chet Marshall, Drew Moore, uh, Ricardo Clark, Bobby Condu, uh, Mike McGee, uh, Clint Dempsey. Uh, that was a that was a very good team. We lost in OT against uh, uh, Macherano's Argentina under twenties in the uh, in in the quarterfinals. Uh, that team predominantly was college players. Fast forward to two hundred seven, uh, and that's the tournament you're talking about, which is in Canada. Um, again, the access was was brilliant with Michael Brantley, Denny Satella, Freddie Adu, Josie Altador. Uh, Robbie Rogers, Sal Zizzo. We beat Brazil, and that Brazil team, by the way, had Marcelo, uh, Thiago Silva, uh, Fernandinho, uh, Joe, Pato. And I remember vividly, my two center backs were from Wake Forest by the name of Jules Valentin and Nathan Sturgis from... Nathan played either for Duke or, or, or... I can't remember. And before the Brazil game, I said to him, do you guys want to... First, I said... Um, do you guys know Joe and Pato? And they went, no idea, coach. I go, well, Pato just got sold to uh, AC, AC Milan for 20 million. Um, I cut some tape. Do you guys want to look at him? And they said, no. And inside, I'm going, I'm pissed. And the other end, I'm going, I got to know the American mentality a little bit. So I didn't want to push it upon them. So we win that one, two, one. Um, fast forward to the round of 16. The team we're facing is Barney up, up front. And again, I got my two college guys going, uh, who is Luis Suarez? And Luis Suarez just got sold to Ajax for like 20 million. And uh, Cavani just got sold to PSG for 20 million. Oh, bet pocket coach, no problem. You know, whatever. Yeah, okay. So he beat Uruguay in, uh, in OT. Michael Bradley scores the winner. And there's a big fight after the game because the Uruguayans are not great losers, in particular against the U.S., so we had a great pathway to get to the final because Argentina and Chile, Chile was uh, Arturo Fidal, uh, Alexis Sanchez, 
great generations, just like Uruguay as well. And on our side was the Czech Republic and uh, Austria. So I, we could get to the final of an under-20 World Cup. How cool is that? And we, we get two great chances. This was in Tio. It's, it's, it's wet, sort of artificial turf. We get two breakaways from Freddie, actually. And he, he, he can't score. And it stays 0-0 for a long time. We eventually lose. Um, and then Austria actually gets to the, uh, gets to the final, loses against uh, Argentina, uh, Di Maria, and, and, and Sergio Aguero, for instance. So the selection process in my first go-around was predominantly going to college games, as many as I could, because that's starting 11, the exception of Eddie Johnson. There were Bradenton at that time that probably had signed Jay Convey, had signed in MLS Santino, but the rest were all, all college guys. Uh, whereas in 207, that starting 11 had nine professionals, all domestically. If you fast forward to our current crop, for instance, that under 20 team can be all guys that play outside of the United States. I mean, that's how far we've come from 202, 203, predominantly college game, to now where these 17, 18-year-old, be it Ricardo Pepe, be it McKenzie, be it, this goes on, of guys that are eligible still for our under-20 team. Not all of them will get released. Not all of them want to go, obviously. Um, but that's been a huge change and, and, and an incredible testimony to the development in the United States in the last 20 years have taken place, which is, which is staggering, by the way. I found Clint Dempsey playing in a wild, illegal league with his older brother, um, against a bunch of a bunch of Mexicans in Nacogdocha, Texas, for instance, because somebody told me there's a talented kid that you should look at. His parents didn't have the means to drive him to Houston or Dallas to be part of the, the at that time was the development academy. So there are some really cool stories how I unearthed you know some of these guys uh, out of nowhere. But yeah, we're, we're going from. You know, are your grades okay in, in college, uh, Mr. Marshall at Stanford, white picket fence? And we used to travel. Marshall was wanted by Real Madrid. We played in Spain. We beat Uruguay. And his parents said, what are they offering? I said, well, it's a youth contract, uh, close to $200,000 a year. And they said, Stanford's education is, is more money. And, and I remember Chet saying to me, I... I I just bought a dog. I, I mean, I, I can't leave California. You know, I mean, these guys. Seriously, these guys had absolutely no interest in becoming pros. And and the parents, as we know, and still are at that at that time in particular, because MLS soccer, there wasn't. You couldn't earn a living out of playing soccer. So most parents percent were all focused on. Division one, good educational schools, scholarships, end yeah. of story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, talk about 2009 where, you know, first it's in Egypt, uh, in the Middle East. Um, you know, so I want, I will, you know, I'm sure we would want to hear any security concerns that maybe you were scared of or maybe the State Department was telling you about. Um, you lose, you know, you come out of the gate, lose 3 0 to Germany, come back, beat Cameroon 4 1. Comes down to the game against uh, South Korea. I'll let you, you know, share with us, you know, what happened there. But but start with, you know, a in Egypt, just from, you know, maybe stuff you're watching on TV or hearing about. Yeah, 
to uh, 203, which is with the United Emirates. That, that, that World Cup got postponed for four months because of the uh, Death Storm uh, uh, war. Oh, so yeah. although we went there yeah. a few months later, and, and just imagine, um, we flew, we got met by three CIA undercover guys here in the U.S. that traveled with us to the United Emirates. We walk off the plane. There's guys, I mean, military, sniffing dogs for bombs. We couldn't get out of a compound that didn't allow us to do anything. Um, and for 17, 18, and 19-year-old kids, that was pretty intimidating. You know, we practiced with guys, you know, literally the whole field was covered with, uh, with military. Um, so that was our first uh, thing that, you know, if you go to CONCACAF qualifying, I remember, you know, playing at Panama in a third game to get to the World Cup for 20,000 people. Um, intimidating, uh, where during the national anthem, the whole stadium goes, Osama bin Laden, Osama bin Laden. They throw coins at you. I mean, some guys were, were bleeding. Um, uh, pretty intimidating. But yeah, Egypt was, was, was not easy either because of the political situation. And, um, you know, we, we almost grew accustomed that uh, undercover guys would be with us throughout in hotels while we traveled. As soon as we'd be met by uh, military forces of those respective countries as well. And that's not a fun way to, uh, to prep for a tournament. Um, in saying that, that was a, you know, you go, you go just like the Netherlands didn't make it to a World Cup. You, you got some good years, some bad years. That wasn't, 209 wasn't a very talented, uh, talented group. Um, and, and we paid for it because we, for the first time we didn't make it. Or on the my reign, I went to 300 World Cups, uh, didn't make it out of, uh, out of group play. Yeah. Um, which leads to, you know, 2011, um, the first two games obviously are win winners. Then you got to play in Guatemala. You mentioned, yep. you know, playing in CONCAF is definitely challenging. Um, share with us, you know, that experience. I, I said to, uh, very similar to the uh, Panama City experience, but maybe tenfold. Small stadium, terrible field, packed house. So we're talking about 18,000 crammed in there. Very much an anti-American, not necessarily towards the place, but an anti-American sentiment. Um, again, during the national anthem, the, the Osama bin Laden, very, very loud. And I looked at my team and I looked at four guys that, I, that were, that I could tell, I said to my sister, goes, there's three guys that are shitting themselves right now. And then one <laughs> reached them too. And, and, and we did, we did shit to bet a little bit, uh, you know, and, and, and I think in those years we were a little bit naive and, 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 um, I told myself if, if, if I keep my job, which I didn't, Sunil fired me, I think a few days later, uh, thank God he did, because that, that's how I ended up in American Samoa, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> at the end of this, uh, this ride. Um, but, you know, my premise was judge me on the amount of players I've pushed through to the Olympic team and the senior team. And I, I, I dare to tell you that I'm in the top one or two uh, throughout the under 20 uh, his, World Cup history um, that has pushed most players up to the... Uh, and yes, we should come out of CONCACAF, uh, but sometimes, you know, in a one-off game, 
on the road in a hostile environment. Um, sure. and, they des- and they deserved it, Guatemala. Don't get me wrong. They, they, they deserved it the day. Uh, but Sunil thought it wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't good enough, uh, which was great, too, because that was my, my third under-20 World Cup. And I, I was ready for, for a little bit of a new, uh, uh, a new challenge, uh, quite frankly, which ended up being, you know, Toronto, where I was the academy director, um, put American Samoa in there in 2011, which was a great experience. I trying to do a documentary and now I full-fledged movie by Taika Watiti and Michael Fassbender is playing me. So this is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, great segue. You know, <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit about that, Thomas. Uh, first, people forget America Samoa uh, is a U.S. territory, uh, sort of like Guam. Sure. So what happened um, is the American Samoa government asked U.S. soccer to f- help find a coach and I'm going to sort of let you take it from here. But before that, I want you to try to explain to us what the difference between Samoa is and American Samoa. I have no fucking idea. <laughs> one is a territory. <laughs> and moving one, into first place on the three O'Kobe's guest list is Thomas yeah. Rungan. One's got two names. One's got one name. It's simple. That's right. Correct. I know. As you said, uh, Greg, American <laughs> Samoa is a is a territory. Uh, Samoa obviously is is not. And in Samoa, that's where the three qualifying games took place. Right? Prep happened in in American Samoa, and then we flew to uh, Samoa. I'm telling you, that's a great. I remember getting a call from Sunil, and he said, "Listen, uh, we're still paying you. You're sitting on your ass." Uh, can you do me a favor? I go, well, it depends on what it is, because I had a contract till the end of 20, 20, 2011. Um, and, and he said, well, you know, they need some help in American Samoa. So I, I remember Luke back in Samoa, so about 10 seconds, she goes, it's next to Fiji and it's in Polynesia. I go, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> then the next day, <laughs> the next day I realized they're, yeah, they're the worst worst team in the world. Ranked last in FIFA, lost thirty one to nothing against Australia, obviously, which is the worst ever uh, FIFA qualifying uh, defeat. Not scored in seventeen years, not won seventeen years. And then fast forward, we beat Tonga. And it becomes a, a world story. I played first transgender ever to play in a World Cup qualifying game. Um, these two young English guys are there already filming this uh, and turning it into a documentary that became uh, some awards at Tribeca Film Festival, uh, Sundance Film Festival. We went abroad, uh, London Film Festival. And Taiki Watiti saw that movie in 2015 and uh, literally called me thereafter. Don't know how he got my number and say, my name is Taiki Watiti. That's all he said. I had no idea who he was, to be real honest with you. He went, I wanted my fat bastard friend, Russell Crowe, to play you in a movie I'm, I'm doing right now. I just finished Thor and Ragnarok that made a billion dollars for Disney, but I didn't like it. I got to go back to my roots, and this should be a pretty good movie. So you know, it ended up being Michael Fassbender. Uh, Elizabeth Moss is playing in really great actors. Uh, so it's, it's going to be interesting uh, to see. It's going to open in theaters. November 17th. The reason why I pushed it back is because I feel there's potentially awards, Emmys, Oscar awards, 
maybe in this film, the first film since um, Taika Waititi won an Oscar for Jojo Rabbit. You know, he, yeah. he, he's brilliant, this guy. He's yeah. in, in the top 100 most influential people in the world, according to Time magazine. And I didn't know much about it until I started looking at his work. And his body of work is unbelievable. You look at Fassbender. Well, he's Magneto in X-Men. He's a warrior in 300. He portrayed uh, Stephen Jobs, Steve McQueen, guy that went on hunger, Bobby Sands, that went on hunger strike in, in, uh, in Ireland. So this is a very accomplished actor, 20 years younger than me, that is playing me, which is, which is badass, you know? I mean, that's everybody, everybody wants to say at one point in time, you remember that question 30 years ago? When we were like, Ooh, you want to play you in a movie? Well, it's Michael fucking Fassbender, which is at my age, at 68, I'll take it. So I'm going to do some red... I'm going to do some red carpets with uh, with with Taika and and cool. uh, and Fassbender in cool. in September, and uh, it's going to open in two big big film festivals, probably in the top three biggest film festivals. I tell where yet, but but it's going to be really cool. Yeah, and again, at, yeah. at sixty eight, here I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I just want to share with people uh, what what Thomas is really saying. You know, they were two hundred and fourth in the world when he took the team. Uh, they're playing uh, the powerhouses of uh, the Cook Islands uh, and Samoa um, and Tongo. And all of those are the worst teams in the, in the world. Uh, you, what Pretty people much. don't know is you had three weeks, three weeks to put this together. Um, and, and you get there and, um, as you mentioned, you had a trans, transgender athlete um who was man of the match, which is you know pretty incredible. Made history um, with that. Um, share with us, you know, because you know you beat Congo two to one, like you shared. You tie Cook, uh, the Cook Islands one to one in a game you should have won, uh, in your opinion. So now you're up against the rival uh, in a packed stadium of about two hundred against the rival Samoa. What what's the what's the feeling like knowing hey you win that you're moving on. Great. I, I, I said to my wife, I said, I hope we don't fucking win. I mean, I'm telling you, <laughs> seriously. Because the re no, because the, re the, reason, the reason is when I did my research and I looked at some of those games, I go, there's properly that these are 12, 16, 18 nothing games. I knew I could close that gap, but I know I couldn't close the gap with New Zealand, Fiji, you know, the, 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 the upper tier teams right. in that region. That wouldn't be double figures. That would have been an embarrassment. I go, this is perfect. We left a little bit of a legacy. There's more athletes playing soccer on the island right now. Uh, the president and, and the first lady came to Samoa to celebrate with us. Uh, we jumped from 203 to 187 in the FIFA rankings. I go, we can't, I knew we couldn't do any better. It could only be, you know, our asses handed to it. And then people are going to question. Yeah, was it luck or whatever? So it was at zero zero. I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys saw the documentary. We hit the post, and right. on the on the counter they score one nothing. So we easily could have been. And you look at Samoa, that was probably uh, better than us, uh, but we hang in there for you know different reasons. Um, they lost by double digits in the next round. You know uh, against Fiji. 
uh, and and New Zealand, Australia. I was still part of that as well. Um, yeah. So I knew. I, I I knew this was it. Yeah, and let's not forget. We played. Uh, we played. I, I coached them to win. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I coached them to win, obviously. Sure. But I don't deep yeah. down that that would have been a tall order. Yeah, let's but not also go, forget. Uh, I think it's Venuda and uh, New Castledonia. I think and I'm blowing. I could be blowing that. So help me here. But Caledonia. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're you're right. I mean, you look at that next step, Thomas, and it's a it's a different different level. Uh, you're absolutely right. right. Um, so I know John and Ryan have some questions, um, especially about you know. Uh, your your work with Bean and CBS. So I'm going to turn it over to you here, John. Ah, uh, Jesus. <laughs> Thomas, I'm kind of the historian on this show. So I had like Renus Mickles questions and now I have zero. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I had a coach question, a fan question, and a geek question. Um, but I'm going to ask you a fan question. What, what do you watch? Do you watch a league? Do you do you do you watch the EPL or the Bundesliga or, or, or Holland? No, actually, you guys are killing me because I'm watching the Panthers in the heat right now. And the Panthers, <laughs> can, some, can somebody tell me there was two-two in the third period at the third? No, Panthers, Panthers won in overtime. No, Panthers oh, won again? in overtime. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I'm a, I'm, yeah, Seriously. I'm a hockey guy. I'm a hockey guy, Thomas, and I think uh, the Panthers are the team to beat this year. They need to. They need to choke against that's the Leafs. Come on, Seriously, they aren't going to choke against the Leafs. I know. I need that, it though. They are that team wow. that is on a roll in the playoffs, and they're getting better every game. Great. I mean, three and zero. Series not yeah. over, but pretty yeah. much over. Yeah, wow, it's pretty much unbelievable. Over, yeah. So they, yeah. beat the, they beat the number one seed that had the best regular season in the history of the NHL, the Bruins. Yeah, that they were considered yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. And 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 their yeah. goal that's one of those sports because you learn from every sport, you know, where a goalkeeper yeah. can yeah. write you into yeah. the Stanley Cup playoffs. And Brabowski is right now incredible. So no, I I because of being where I do the Turkish league and, and the French league. Yeah, I, I studied those two leagues a little bit in terms of my prep before. Yes, tomorrow I have a CBS show. I do U.S. men's national team players abroad. I do my uh, MLS power rankings. I do sometimes uh, top five European power rankings. I will talk tomorrow about the Champions League. Uh, I follow, obviously, my team Ajax, who are struggling this year. So I... I, I have a real wide span. Um, you know, I do every game for Inter Miami as well on radio, which is which is cool. Uh, so I've I've turned my passion into um, into still a living, you know, which is awesome. I, every day I drive towards studio or to the stadium. Yesterday, Joseph Martinez scoring his hundredth goal against his old team, you know, Atlanta United. Uh, that was a great story, and I'm right there. Um, so, yeah, I I. I I don't have a favorite league, to be real honest with you. I follow closely American players abroad in, in all leagues. So Leeds is a, is an interesting story right now with big Sam Allardyce and uh, can they avoid relegation? Um, you know, so yeah, I, 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 I do it all question. and I love. That's awesome. My last question is really a coaching question. I'm glad you brought up the goalkeepers in hockey because we had a big howler from David De Gea at United today. 
Um, uh, how did how did you you know what happens? You know, it's a twenty four foot target, and we all we've all had those balls bounce over our head, or like when I played in Miami against you and Steve Kinsey, volleyed a ball off my forehead in Lockhart <laughs> Stadium. You just kind of got to be in the wrong place at the right time. Um, how do you, how did you treat a goalkeeper blunder? Uh, a, a just a, just a blunder between the legs or something we saw that happened to De Gea at United today. Just, just like I treated the, uh, a player that missed a missed a penalty, which is clearly slanted towards the taker. Let's be real honest. Um, that's where you can re- make a real mark. I, I firmly believe that coaching, not just now, but even more so now, because the athletes are more complicated. Um, but back then, I I, I always uh, had a very keen understanding. Uh, the all the players that played for me with, with with a handful of guys that probably hate me uh, do respect me for the mere fact that I had a very human side to me and I could put my arms around his shoulder I would protect a team or a player as I would do in the, in David De Gea's case and as Ten Hag has done as well the only yeah. problem with De, David De Gea is it's not the first one this this year I mean you could have one or two howlers I've also made changes uh, to a team where my goalkeeper, which I still, to a certain extent, believed in, but I could tell his teammates didn't anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. After a fourth or fifth howler, even during a good run with DC United, I made the change in, in goal uh, because I think I thought that our backup goalkeeper deserved as he played in the Open Cup to get a start. Um, mm-hmm. And and then you have to be hard as well because you always got to do what's best for the team. I think David, they are still. Uh, the number one for Man United going forward might change in the offseason. Uh, late in the game, I, I'm sure that Ten Hag doesn't want to <laughs> throw him under the bus uh, because confidence is so important, particularly in your position as well. You're so isolated. I don't know what you're going through because I've never played the position, but I have a, I have a very, uh, uh, again, keen understanding, you know, the psychological aspects of, 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 of a goalkeeper that, that one safe that could make you the hero and, and one mistake could make you the goat as well. There's, there's you nothing really in between uh, very isolated position. I, I feel for you guys, you know, I mean, toughest position in, 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 in the game, in my opinion, in terms of your prep, in terms of maintaining a level of concentration, even if you don't get the ball for long periods of time and done being able to come up still with a big time save and one, one or, one nothing up to win and win three points. A good goalkeeper can win you single-handedly between six to nine points a year. Easy. That's a great point. That's a great point. And, you know, it's tough for De Gea, too, because he's playing for a Dutch manager and he's not really good with his feet. So they've got a, they've got some decisions to make in, 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 at United. Ryan, do you have anything for the gaffer here? Yeah, before Ryan does that, uh, I just want to interject this, you know, get – Thomas's opinion, um, you know, here with the three goalie, the three old goalies, uh, we talk about the U.S. Open Cup a lot. And we've sort of been ahead of the curve where, um, first, there's not enough money, right? $300,000 for the winning team uh, is really not a lot of money. And I'm going to let Ryan sort of talk a little bit about this because, Thomas, I don't know if you know about the tournament, the 70 seven tournament for a million dollars there's 32 teams in it um it's going to be taking yep. place you know in north carolina 
a million dollars. Now, if we if we could pull those resources for the U.S. Open Cup, I think, um, you know, and make sure the quality of the fields that we're playing on, the standard is definitely higher than some of these uh, places that we've seen uh, the games. Um, I, I definitely want to hear your thoughts about that. I'm going to turn it over to Ryan in case he wants to add to that. Um, I, I think the important thing that, that I'd like to hear about, um, I don't know if you heard the quote from Don Garber this week about um, the Open Cup matches being played on subpar pitches and it's not something they want their brand to be seen on. Um, did you happen to see that quote? Yeah, but you know what? you got to read the whole quote. They just took out one sentence because he actually talks about he wants to promote the Open. Right now it doesn't look good for right. our brand. You know, but he's right. talking about bigger prior. If you read the whole the whole story with Don, he's actually saying, "I want to help here. We 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 need to get better in those areas." He touches on two or three areas where yeah, that now gets put in in the newspaper. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, I, I'm I'm from the Netherlands, uh, where cup is is huge. The FA Cup obviously is legendary. Sure. Um, I played a lower division teams as, as a player against bigger teams. I've coached against bigger teams. I've I've coached against the smaller teams with my MLS teams. I won the majority of the games, but I lost a few times as well. In Rochester, for instance, uh, better of my uh, DC United team uh, one year, and that's the beauty of the of the cup. You know, it's uh, it's unpredictable. It looks like right. Now, what we got in the round of 32, we got two, at least two lower division teams playing each other. So one gets to the round of 16. You might get an upset one or two as well. Um, yes, it's been dominated by, uh, uh, by, by, by MLS teams, but mm -hmm. there, there should be a bigger emphasis on all levels for that matter, including the USL, MLS, US soccer on the top of the pyramid. 100%. Uh, to make this... Not all, not only bigger prize money, but prize money does help uh, with, without a doubt. Uh, although the winner gets in the Concacaf Club Championship, so that's also uh, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty big. But it, it's a pale in comparison to uh, other top countries in the world. And if we keep saying, "Hey, we we want to be and we will be part of the top six or seven countries uh, in the world after 2026." Uh, now, one of the ways that you do it is by promoting uh, your Open Cup uh, on a much broader and higher level, no doubt. What do you think would be, let's say you're you're in charge of of the Open Cup, or you're you're part of that committee, and you want to, you would want to throw one thing into it that you think could could help, you know, improve the tournament overall. What would that one piece be for you? Round of uh, uh, sixteen um, and beyond. Um, the lower division teams are always the host. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, it. Love it. I've been I've been saying that for a couple yes, of years. <laughs> we we that's it. We don't that's the key. We, we 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 do a pretty good job. Not all. There's there's a few outliers, but most of the uh, you know MLS teams, in particular, the latest batch of 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 new teams that have waiting lists for uh, for season ticket holders. Uh, Cincy sells out, Nashville sells out, St. Louis sells out with 42,000 for San Jose, LAFC, Atlanta's always 40, 50, Seattle. So let, let, let's give the Charleston Battery uh, a home game against an MLS team where 
they can first and foremost make some money as well, invest it back into maybe their academies or their um, right. mm -hmm. uh, uh, their the television rights have to go up. You know, we gotta we gotta find a real partner that really wants to showcase the U.S. Open Cup with previews, just like we see with Apple right now. It's it's even hard to find. CBS got two or three games. These guys get three or four games. It's gonna be all streamlined as well. And 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 as I said again, we we, we got to promote, in my opinion, the smaller cities, the smaller teams, because those are the the better storylines, I think, in the U.S. Open Cup. Yeah. Since you you mentioned MLS a little bit there, I want to jump in on the the scheduling thing. Since you you talked about MLS last night, they had almost all of their games at seven thirty. Like almost every single MLS game was played at the same time. So then today, there's no MLS game to be played in prime time. Um, I know the deal with Apple TV allows anybody to watch whichever game they want, but do you think it's it's more important for more games to be able to be seen? live than just going back and watching games on demand or, or what's your feeling on that? Absolutely. I remember back in the NESL days, we had like the, the Thursday night uh, game of the week, actually early MLS as well, you know, and, and people were looking forward right. to that. A, uh, a slate on, on ESPN2. ESPN2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, a slate of games staggered a little bit on a Sunday as well. Um, you know, do maybe three seven thirty games, three ten thirty games on a Saturday. Uh, do a few on Sunday the same way. Fight one uh, evening a week, Monday. Although you don't want to fight against Monday uh, against the uh, the NFL, but there's 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 ways I think for us. I hate it, quite frankly. You know that I have to rewatch games. Pretty much not a result. Uh, and I think a lot of fans are complaining right now, why are they all on at the same time? But only a fan of Cincinnati. I'm a fan of MLS, and I would like to see as many games live as, as I can. And St. Louis, with such a great atmosphere, I would love to see that game on a Sunday, you know, uh, and not being one of 10 games being played at 7.30 or one of eight and then another eight at 8.30. Uh, yeah. And it's hurting in all areas, I think. And I mean, let's be real honest. If the rumors are true, Apple is not too happy with uh, with the amount of uh, you know season passes they've sold. Well, part of it is being that you put it at a price point that's more than me paying for my Premier League, mm -hmm. you know, stream. <laughs> like that. That's part of my issue with it. Um, you know, it's a is a big uh, FC Cincinnati fan myself, like if they're not the free game to watch of the week and I, it's not a home game that I can attend, I'm at my local like Buffalo wings and rings. Cause they're a, a official watch party of the club, right? Like I'm not paying the additional money for the, for the service. Um, right. I already pay for Apple TV plus, you know, to, to add that extra piece of the subscription for me just wasn't worth it because I attend almost every home match when, when my kids aren't playing or I'm not coaching somewhere. Um, and I've been oh, yeah. able to make a road trip or two throughout the season, as we know. Um, yeah. So it's just for so me, pissed, it financially doesn't make well. sense. Yeah. No, no, just, I, I, I bought, I bought it. Make sense. But I do every game home and away from the 
stadium for Inter Miami. So I never get to watch it anyway. I'm going, why, why did I pay this? And then I hear from the very <laughs> fair that most people that were radio TV guys got their pass for free. I mean, uh, well, and season ticket holders Dunn got Dark theirs for free as well. On. Yeah, 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 that did correct, which is yeah, yeah this pretty is the smart, first, actually. This was one of the first years that we didn't do season tickets with FC Cincinnati, and it was just because of my coaching schedule and the kids' game schedule. It just didn't, doesn't work. Um, you know, and, and when, yeah. that, when that happens, like, there, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are in that boat. Um, but overall, I think the product on Apple TV hasn't been bad. The first week was, was rough. I've watched quite a few. They have, like, six games for free each week live so i've been anytime i can take a, a look at one of those i've been watching it but um, hey ryan let, let's ask thomas you know a little controversy you know you had mentioned about the philly union chicago fire so yeah. i'm gonna sort of let you dwell into that here for uh for thomas um as someone who's coached the unit u20 national team did you ever have a situation where a club wouldn't release a player for you guys to to have with you for the world cup for the u20 world cup Yes, there, 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 there's always a, a, a some MLS teams uh, refused, but mostly uh, foreign teams. I Jonathan Spector, uh, that was for uh, at that time was at Man United, and I yeah. talked to Sir uh, I talked to Sir Alex Ferguson, and Jonathan. All the players want to represent their countries. You know, that's something special for them, and in terms of their development. Uh, it's huge, and I, I can attest to that because I've been, I've, I went to 320 World Cups, and I still talk to players and say the qualification process, the tournament itself, uh, really helped me in my 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 growth as a as a player, also as a person, uh, with all the travel attached to it. Your um, Alex just said Thomas, or not Thomas, Mr. Rongen. Um, we booked three weeks for every player. That's from our academy to our reserve team, our first team, uh, based on their schedules, obviously, uh, the way the competitions run and vacation falls during the R20 World Cup, who, by the way, is not part of the FIFA calendar, so we're not required to release him. So, no, you, you, you won't have him. Um, and I know Ezra, Ezra played... Ezra Henderson played for me. So I, I, I get it a little bit as well. Ezra's on the pressure right now, you know, uh, has done okay, but probably feels the pressure from above. Uh, he's got two kids, and I saw it into Miami here. Uh, and in particular, Guterres is a, is a big-time player, uh, a starter for him as well. And I don't think that he has the luxury to let these two guys go because he loses a lot. He's not as deep. Whereas... Um, although they don't spend that much money either, but Jim Curtin and Philadelphia have done an unbelievable job, obviously, in, 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 in putting this, this Philadelphia squad uh, together. Uh, that have been brilliant the last few years. This came up short against LAFC again uh, with depth. And, and, and Jim thinks, um, because Jim was also, at the time that I was in Toronto, the academy director for Philly. That's where he started, coached there their oldest team, he understands, and he, and he says that also in his interviews, you know, how important it is for, for their development as well. So I, I did, I do get Ezra. Um, I might've at one time as a coach, not released a player for a particular 
I think that was actually senior national team. That was the senior national team. I had at one point down at DC United that five guys that played for the national team, Eddie Pope, Carlos Yamosa, uh, Jeff Agus, John Harks, Ben Olsen, uh, I'm missing Roy Lasser. Um, and we had a tough stretch. That was a friendly game. So um, we, you know, again, it's club versus country. And, 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 and what happens that we loaned out to England and Ben came back with a horrific injury that really derailed his, uh, and DC United is, is paying him. Eddie Pope came back once or twice from national team duty and couldn't play for DC United for a month because he got injured with the national team. And when those things happen repeatedly, the ownership group and your president more than anybody else uh, started to put pressure on you as well. And you're in the middle caught between players that want to represent their countries and management that says, we've got to win games here. And if we don't win games, you're done. You know, that's, that's a, not an easy one. So I get Ezra Hendrickson. I get Jim Curtin as well. Fair enough. All right, Ryan, you got any more questions that you want to ask or dwell into? This, this is a power rankings question. Cincinnati's for real this year, right? Yep. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's it, I knew it was going to be a yes or no. Like just watching them play, like six wins and six home matches. You know that one hiccup against St. Louis, but St. Louis is a very, very good squad. Like I tell Greg, actually, I think St. Louis is probably the best team in the league, in my opinion. Um, we've talked about that quite a bit, but it's, I always bounce between like, yeah, it's, it's, I'm bouncing between new England, St. Louis, Seattle still seems really strong to me this year. Um, you know, not after today. Yeah. I, I don't like, know how Cincy, I don't know how Cincy does it. Uh, they beat, they beat actually into Miami, but, but throughout 90 minutes, I got out of nowhere. They, they find a, they grind out a result. I know. The coaching staff really well because when I was the chief scout, those guys were Bruce's assistant coaches when right. Bruce was the head coach and I was the chief chief scout. So all my scouting reports, I would deal with Kenny Arena, with Sorbs and all those uh, uh, Pet Moon and all those guys. And I knew it back then they were assistant coaches that would make uh, great head coaches going forward as well. And he's he's turned that 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 team into a first and foremost a tough team to two or three difference makers that on any given day can get you a win as well, you know. Um, they won't blow your doors off. They're sometimes really happy, but you can have the ball and we'll counter. Uh, we'll get out they wide. They did that against get... Louisville, Louisville City in the Open Cup match, right? The whole match. Yeah, we... Possession was like 75 to 25 at one mm-hmm. point. Um, and then they Correct. still were able to yeah. eke out the win at the end. Yeah, yeah, and there's something, I, something to be said really for that as well, you know? I, I was going to say, I think Roman Bale. Everybody... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last night, for sure. Roman Saltano stood on his head a number of times. And then that the Olympico from Acosta was was just a ridiculous goal. Uh, <laughs> That's but, what I mean. You got, yeah, you got, you just, you they got just did, find I, ways to win, right? Like, Yep. And that's that's unique too, and 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 special, you know. It, it really is. I mean, we can't always all be romantic like Pep Guardiola. I, I, I can marvel in a, a defensive sound structure and grinding out one nothing results. Um, yeah. You know, since he does right now, 
I just wonder if he if he lets the shackles off if this team has more uh, actually in terms of uh, quality that uh, could make for a more pleasing uh, footballing affair. But hey, you, you can argue against the results uh, right now, yeah. no doubt. And and even when they're you, not scoring a games. lot of goals, even when they're not scoring a lot of goals, they're they're making some the counterattacks. Some of them are are phenomenal. So. Yep. Like for me, like Barreal on the outside is a difference maker. Um, but mm-hmm. and Greg and I have talked quite a bit about Lucho just being the difference. He is the the offensive playmaker, right? They're only as good as how good Lucho plays. And he had a chip on his shoulder last right. night. So, you know, against his former club. Yeah, and then and then you got the ability to to due to your 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 physical strength, set pieces uh, for and against. Uh, you're pretty good at. And every time you go out wide, you whip balls in the crush. You get fucking two big boys attacking, yeah. <laughs> you know, the 80 yeah. yard bus. Sant- Santos uh, and, yeah. and Vasquez, right? Those, yeah. those guys can finish. So, yeah, I'm excited yeah. about it. I think, like, I I have been pretty pretty negative over the last few years um, until they brought in Noonan. And I said the day that they signed him, I was like, all right, let's build the statue. Um, cause I had, I had a really good feeling about it and I'm glad it, it's worked out for him. I hope that they continue to move forward, but, um, yep. this in your, in your power rankings, can we get a, can we get a little bit of a preview of who, who you think is the best team in MLS currently? Where, where do you sit on that one? Uh, yeah, they've got a hiccup, but I think that, that LAFC has proven the last two years that they are still the team uh, to beat. Uh, very good uh, to win the Champions League. They had a little hiccup uh, yesterday, but that was great too because San Jose absolutely deserved that uh, that one. But I, I know what it's like to play these big games, which they have, you know, in in, in the quarters and semifinals with Concacaf, and then there's automatically there's a letdown. You got to go on the roads, and guard, guys let their guards down a little bit. All of a sudden. 40,000 in the Levi Stadium. Well done, San Jose, by the way. Um, but LAFC, to me, is, is, is the team to be. The sleeper right now that I can't put my finger on, but Inter-Miami plays him in the next game, is, is Bruce Arena, New England. Um, again, he rolls out a young goal. This guy, there's two or three guys here. A guy from Albania, a young American kid. The ability for Bruce Arena to find these gems... And, and 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 stick him in in positions. Bruce is a great story because Bruce at UVA, his locker room or his office was next to the opposing uh, basketball team's uh, locker room. So his office, so he would listen pre halftime and post. And he said, "Listen, I learned more from um, you know the ACC coaches how to deal with ups and downs and losses and X's and O's and other sports." Uh, he said. Um, and 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 you know, I said, you know, what's important is just never put a player in a situation where they can where they can fail. Uh, and I would question at times, why are you playing and on the left? And then right. three games later, I'm going, oh my god, he's the only one that saw that. You know, it's pretty amazing. He had a down year last year. But I wouldn't bet against Bruce Arena's teams in in in, in MLS uh, any given day. But LAFC is the the cream of the crop. Um, Seattle also lost yesterday, but still, if everybody's healthy and they're focused, uh, pretty good as well. I think with 
the fact that Philly finally is done with all these games that is, are, were very hectic for them and they're not as deep as, as LAFC, for instance. And they after Carranza and they don't have a, a really good third number nine, so to speak. You know, so the, that's something for Jim Curtin that he needs to uh, to deal with. But I say that, yeah, those are the teams that I would put my money into uh, to to get to the finals this year. Does Philly go out and get that nine in the summer transfer window? You think? Uh, they're funny, you know. They don't they don't spend they a don't lot of money. They don't tend to spend that money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, they they have done a great job in in, in their academies. Obviously, you know, uh, yeah. I got three or four guys that were st- standouts at the under twenty qualifying. Um, uh, I don't know if they got a nine somewhere hidden, an eight, you know, uh, num- number <laughs> nine. Aaron playing on their U nineteen team or something. Or- <laughs> but yeah, I think they 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 should look at that in 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 the next transfer window. Most teams will look at where they need to improve and try to do that, even though the financial restraints in MLS makes it very hard sometimes to improve your team and spend money. Uh, well, they've definitely got the, mu- the space. The money, like it's a question if they want to. No, spend I know it, they right? do. If yeah. they want to spend, it, <laughs> do they want to spend it? Yeah. All right, John. All right, guys. Dad, yep, we're all good there. All right, cool. Well, our guest Thomas Rundgren, thank you so much for being on here. The movie comes out uh, in November. Uh, little promotion on it. Uh, it's called Next Goal Wins. And um, again, Thomas, thank you for participating in this episode. Let's hand it. Oh, so anyway, Greg Deutsch, man, thank you again for what what an unbelievably prepared and great interview. I got chills the entire time, Um, but you're being so prepared and you knew. And I tell you what, Ryan, I did not know. I don't know if you knew this, but that Lone Starling Mudbone, where did you dig that shit up? (laughs) Wikipedia. (laughs) All over the place. Oh, well, I mean, we got to ask yeah. Blake Harper about that because, I, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I did not know about that league. That was so funny. I mean, the the the. I think the cool thing, obviously, you know, we had a movie actor on, right? I mean, we don't yeah. get that on this show, right? Yeah. That and that documentary, you know, he didn't mention this, but that documentary was also in Cannes, uh, pretty important in the movie business. Um, and then the new one, as he said, had been, has been bumped a couple times, the movie movie with Fassbender, so they can get it in some uh, big festivals. And I'm really hoping it comes to Telluride, because it comes to Telluride, I try to go up there every other year. Uh, that would be amazing. That would be. To watch him, and maybe we'll get a little interview with him and Fassbender yeah. on the show. Uh, yeah, but, but um, yeah, I'm sure they'll so, fit us right in. That uh, and Ryan, your MLS runs. insight was really, really good. And if you and uh, Thomas Rongen are going to watch MLS, I'm going to watch MLS. Yeah, I like we we're going to have to. I'm going to have to bug him to to get back on because I I know that he does those power rankings. Like I've seen his power rankings for CBS Sports. Yeah, I've always wanted to just chime in. Like that, it was kind of a cool moment because I was like, this is the moment I finally have to be like, why in the hell do you rank these teams so high? You know, or like what? And I didn't go there, but like, there there are moments, and it's not just him. There are other guys that like work on MLS Soccer's website that, when they put their power rankings out, like for the longest time, everybody's like, "Oh, FC Cincinnati's just a pretender. They're a pretender. They're a pretender." And I was like, "Guys, 
how long do you go until you go, okay, this shit's for real. Like they're, they're playing real. Like I, yeah, I think the answer is when they go on the road, right. The next, you know, uh, they got a rough stretch. I mean, we have Columbus coming up, right. Um, that game's always super physical. Um, they hate each other. I mean, they legitimately hate one another. If you're going to watch one MLS match this year, Boa, it's that one to me. Well, that I, yeah, and then and maybe will, LA and L- LA Galaxy and LAFC. Those two teams, like those two matchups, those derbies, they hate each other. Well, I know a lot of, uh, you know, since Chelsea's going to be playing in the MLS next year, uh, there's a chance that I'll be uh, watching the more games. <laughs> I mean, there'll probably be a number of Chelsea players that make their way over here. That's for sure. Everton, Once Everton they get relegated, right? Yeah, Everton and Chelsea <laughs> in MLS. Um, but uh, guys, that was a great job. The other thing, a good takeaway from Thomas Rongan, Greg, especially for people our, our age, is the things he had to do to, to piece his life together, doing what he loved and what he was good at. I mean, you're hanging out with Ger Mueller and Rohan Christ. You know, you've got to absorb some things. Uh, a player that EV uh, coached at Duke named Brian Benedict, Nene Kibiyas basically took him under his wing when he was a little boy, and that kid was one of the most gifted, he was like a Tab Ramos skilled type player, had a bad knee injury, but a wonderful player from South Florida, won the national championship at Duke, he's my age, 86er. Um, but the, but the thing, you know, Thomas is like, look, I coached a high school and I coached a club and then the strikers came back and they called me and I'd go back and do it. You know, and he coached, he was coaching the strikers in the shitty APSL when there was only five teams in the country. And he's Thomas Rung is on the fuck Thomas Rung is on the sideline when I told that little story about Kinsey smacking the ball off my face, you know, and I'm like, this guy's seen everything. And you're like, oh hi, Coach Rungan, you know. Um, but that's a really important thing for our arrogant era now, I think. I think it's very arrogant, naive. This, I mean, this guy's seen and done it all, right, fellas? Um absolutely. Yeah, I really, think really really humble like- man, a, a real great reputation, a football guy. Um, just Greg, great job. And Ryan, great with the MLS stuff. So we, we talk a lot about who, you know, right. And how you <laughs> kind of like the connections and, yeah. and those things. Yeah. Like he brought up Nathan Sturgis's name um, during, yeah, yeah. The Clemson player. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you look at Sturgis's MLS career, he played in Toronto, Houston, Chivas, like Seattle, like, you start the names of the teams that you're you're looking at who he played for, like all of those were mentioned by Thomas at some point because he was involved in them at at some level somewhere along the way. And he talked so, a lot about scouting. Yeah, uh, Dempsey, what one of the top five American players ever, scored goals in England. Liverpool wanted him at one point, and Thomas Rungan found him playing on a county park. Well, and yeah, he traveled. I mean, his he's talked about it um Dempsey's talked about it ad nauseum like his parents changed their jobs to trek him to and from training sessions that were like almost two hours from home right yeah Um, and did he play for Lone Star Soccer Club was that his youth club he was a lot younger than me I don't remember um I'm not sure I can find that out while we're we're going because I I remembered it and then I I drew the blank um but I think I think that's right um, now remember this guy while you're doing that got into Furman. that's where he played. What went to Furman, yeah, yeah, Furman, oh, yeah, 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 for sure, yeah. I mean, and and is also participating in the 7v7, yep. 
right? Tournament that we're talking about. Um, his, uh, his youth career was with the Dallas issue. The Dallas Texans was the club that he played. Oh, there we go. Butch, Butch Group. There we go. Butch group. Yeah. Butch, Butch's Group. Yep. So, guys, I, this was going to be a really short twirl around the world because the John Boa Media Company had a really weird couple of weeks. We weren't really used to this thing called work. <laughs> and for some reason, <laughs> we, I had too much to do. So I couldn't get on the last call because of some storm coming off the mountain. Now there's a new one coming down the mountain, so I'm on my cell phone. So hopefully there's no delay. But we've, oh, I've good. actually been working, which is amazing. Um, That's a I'm good problem to have, John. Yeah, well, well, maybe it cuts. Well, it cuts in the number of random text messages we get from you in the day that we have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, well, I, you know, my, <laughs> work is secondary. There, there's, there's football. There's sex and there's breathing in that order. All right, all right. All right. I did. I did want to start the show, and I'm a week late on this, but because we all love music, we got to give a shout out to our man Gordon Lightfoot who passed away. Um, and anyone who's worked a soccer camp and drank beer until two in the morning and ate pizza and told lies and stories and listened to stories has listened to Gord's Gold thousands of times. May Gordon Lightfoot rest in peace. And there is a long history of music and football collaborations, as we all know. Liverpool's John Barnes tried to rap for a while. That was horrendously horrible. Kevin Keegan had a, had a serious singing effort that was worse than horrible. But there are two pieces of world-class brilliance in uh, football with real music. So you guys will remember the 82 film Golay that uh, Sean Connery was the narrator when he did that, said that famous line about the, the French sent home someone because they were having an affair with the captain's wife, Madame Platini. And he goes, football's not always about diagonal runs. It's one of the best lines ever. Uh, but Rick Wakeman from the band Yes did the soundtrack for Golay and it won an Oscar. Wow. Very cool musical fact about football. And then the other thing is that even though um, Gordo, Gordon Lightfoot, was Canadian, he wrote the official song of the U.S. Soccer Federation called The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yes. Yes. And it is his biggest hit. It was it reached <laughs> it, it reached number two on the Billboard know? charts. In 1976. How did he know that it would apply to that office in Chicago? Moving on. Um, I want to touch on this Barcelona kid that made his debut at 15. Lamine Yamal, his parents are from Equatorial Guinea and I think Morocco maybe. Um, and they, he was born in Spain. And I looked it up actually and there were three other younger kids in early 1900s that played for Barcelona, but they were amateurs. But this kid is a tall, slender, uh, very eloquent, languid player, all left foot, um, 15 years of age. He could be, you know, he's like a Paul Pogba uh, in body type, better with the ball. Um, and the, I was watching some highlights of him, and the guy on YouTube said, I couldn't find any highlights of this kid touching the ball with his right foot. <laughs> I'm like, Messi did okay with one foot, so did George Best. Um, but so you guys need to check this kid out. 15 years old at Barcelona. Uh, meanwhile, kids in our country that are that age are playing for Sunset Country Day School and Rydell Senior High. So again, 
we really need some help from Chicago on getting our young players exposure. Thomas touched on it in his thing. You know, the under 20s, great, bad group, great group, bad group. You know, has evolved into overseas kids. I get it. But he had the exact, he was saying the exact thing we say on this show all the time. And that is, we need to, you know, Keep keep them going. Keep them going. Well, I that did right, that mention, Rydell senior high team, John. Though they would be really good if they just had Danny Zuko. Yeah, if he would it, just well, settle down and play the game instead of he, chasing around Sandy all summer. He long. just smoked too much. Yeah, that's right. I did want to I did want to mention one more thing that has to kind of do with Barcelona, and I didn't even really know this. I was listening to uh, Talk Sport this morning uh, before I ask a panel question, but Barcelona has already won the league with four games to spare. Okay, I thought three. Anyway, they've won the league. Um, but they've already played 33 league games and they won the league. And everybody talks about Barcelona keeping the ball and all this blah blah and Johan Cruyff and all this. How many goals do you guys think Barcelona has allowed in their 33 league games this season? Um, 12 in 33 games. I'm gonna say it's 10, it's 11. Damn, look at the, the difference. Sport. The guy on Talk Sports said nine. The guy on Talk Sports said nine, and the Spanish reporter corrected him. It is eleven. So again, you know, it's a simple game. If you let in not many goals and you score a lot more, what's Manchester City's goal difference is forty nine. Um, yeah. it, it 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 translates into wins. The other thing about that is Ter Stegen, the goalkeeper. Uh, you know, Neuer broke his leg. Uh, the German goalkeeper who's been there since what 1952 uh, after the World Cup, he broke his leg skiing. He, he's not going to play till next August, and he's probably not going to play for Bayern. This could finally be Ter Stegen's chance to get there and be the real number one for Germany because you know the Germans don't like to quit on a goalkeeper. Once they pick a guy, they've got to play a couple of cycles. Ter Stegen's only 31 years of age. We have a short World Cup, so the next World Cup's 2020, right? Right around the corner, so yeah. he'll be 33. Then he'll be 37. So um, he can play in the United States and then play one more time. And the Germans, as sure as you're born, are going to recover from his last two cycles. Trust me. <laughs> How many times have we seen that, Bone? Too many. Too well, many. Barcelona also has that 19-year-old goalkeeper sitting kind of back waiting, right? Ander, is it Estrelaga? Estrelaga? Yeah, I have not How seen him play. Um, really young kid, but um, by all accounts, looks pretty solid. Um, and and Terstegen came from one of my favorite football club names of all time. And if you guys, I'll give you guys a minute to think about yours. But one of my favorites is Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, and those of you that watched Toby Charles growing up will remember him talking about Stuttgart and 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 click kickers and and Mönchen Gladbach. But I. You know, there's a lot of famous German goalkeepers, especially from the green shirt era, as we call it. Um, and the only one I could remember was is Uwe Kops, but he's more like, he's my age. He's like 57, 58 years old. But I forgot, I had to find this too. Casey Keller was there for a while. And I did not remember that. And he wore a green shirt, right? I guess he did. He wore a green shirt. And Mucci Gleibach, and, and of course, their most famous player, the Mucci Gleibach's most famous most favorite player is uh, Bertie Volk's uh, German legend. Um, anyway, but that's, I thought that was pretty interesting. But it could be Ter Stegen's turn. I, I do not know. Um, but again, all this brings back the same old thing we have about the pyramid. 
Um, you know, we got this kid playing in Barcelona at 15. Of course, the idiotic media is already calling him the next Messi, even though he looks or plays nothing like him except for the left foot. Um, the U.S. Open Cup, we need direction. You guys already hit that with Thomas really hard, which was excellent. Thank you very much. Um, so I don't, I don't want to talk about Don Garber again. Uh, one thing I did want I to wanna, I do want to hit one thing in the Open Cup, though, because Thomas did mention it, but we didn't say who it is. Uh, Birmingham Legion FC and Memphis 901 FC are the two teams from the USL that play one another. So we'll definitely have one in the round of 16. So it's already the round of 16. Okay, makes sense. No, yeah, this is round of 32. And then who if they, you know, this set of matches, we have one guaranteed USL team that'll make the round of 16. Fair enough. Others that have, and, and, and you notice that Thomas said it, that they have the little guys host the games, Greg. You, I mean, that's brilliant. Uh, absolutely. We've been you playing know, that for two and, years. And the, the USL's got to love this, right, Ryan? Because yeah. Birmingham to Memphis is not that far, right, from a – Expense standpoint, right? So it's not a California team, et right. cetera, et cetera. So, but, you know, is that a Black rival game? Cool I don't know. Uh, we'll we'll see about the crowd. It's going to be like Slapshot Bone with the uh, with the school buses and the, yeah. and, the, and the groupies going from Memphis to Birmingham. I mean, that's SEC country. They do that all the time. Three hours and thirty two minutes. There you go. That's nothing. Drive between those two cities. But to go. that point. Um, and <laughs> only, we, crappy, I think, only crappy thing, it's a Wednesday night, I believe, that match. Well, another mistake. But, you know, midweek games, those are cup games. And that's why that's being yeah. a pro. You play midweek cup games, you go to Europe, yeah. Mexico, or Canada, you play your league games on the weekend. Just it's, just, it's just really hard to, to make a four-hour trek midweek. Well, that's what, va- that's what vacation days are for. <laughs> vacation. Um, but but to the <laughs> end, just to kind of put a put a bow on the on the pyramid and the multiple competitions and the Open Cup in Europe, uh, we've talked about uh, this Dutch club AZ Alkmaar, which is kind of in the industrial part of Holland, um, kind of like Gelsenkirchen in Germany, and they're playing West Ham from England, who kind of got out of the relegation zone today in England. But now West Ham can concentrate on their European semifinal on Thursday. And yes, it is the third tier, but guys, this is real football. Um, and it's a European Cup semifinal, first leg. But the cool thing about the Altmar Club is, guys, this is the club, and I think one of you brought it up, or I brought it up on a previous show, that 49% of their players are homegrown and make it to the first team. And right. then if you include players they, that they don't think are going to make it, they go to another club or they sell, it's almost 60%. So... It can be done for a club that you've never heard of. I When I first saw that, I didn't really remember them. And I thought they were Turkish. And I'm like, how the hell is a Turkish club doing it, you know? But, they're, I mean, the proof's in the pudding. You know, if they can do it, the Wilmington Hammerheads can do it. So, we just need somebody that has the patience and, and the foresight. So, again, playing West Ham United from England uh, in the uh, – so now let's talk about all we're going to talk about. Because Germany, I don't know, France, who can't – I don't know. You know, Spain's over. Uh, the English Premier League, because I speak English, just what I watch the most. It just so happens it's the best league of the world right now. And this this year in particular, and it's always been tough, really shows you what a fine line it is between winning in sixth place or 12th and getting relegated. Um, you know, we've seen Arsenal beat everybody like a drum, play some beautiful football. They've dropped nine points. In four weeks, they're done. Manchester City doesn't give up leads. 
Arsenal's done. Uh, United had a 12-point lead over Liverpool three and a half weeks ago. It's now one. Point. One. Now, United has a goal up game in hand. So, Liverpool will play Saturday, and they will go up by two points. And then United will play on Sunday, I think. Uh, or no, no, no. United plays first, and Liverpool plays Monday. So, United, that's going to be their game in hand. Um, so it'll be, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch that because it's going to be like this for a while until they get all caught up on the 20th. Um, but really neat. And it just shows you, you know, we, everybody talks about Ten Hag at United walking on water and, and uh, how much Arteta has learned being Pep Guardiola's assistant and playing for Arsene Winger at Arsenal. Well, fellas, when it, you know, the, the, our golfing buddies say what? Drive for show and putt for dough. It's April and May. You can't drop points. And, and especially against a team like Manchester City, who could beat like Jesus and the 12 disciples. Okay. So we even without God on the sideline. So we got to, you know, really get some perspective here, how hard it is to win at this, uh, at this level. And it really has nothing to do. I know Ryan, you're a United guy, but it really has nothing to do with Liverpool's resurgence. Liverpool's got the easiest run in of anybody. They got three games in a row at home. They just won them all. They, but if you look at these other teams' schedules, they are brutal. Brighton's got to play two. They got to play all three of the top three, two away from home. That's not going to end well for them. Uh, Chelsea has won their first game since February, so they scored their first goal in three weeks, and they won their first game since February. Poor Frank Rank, uh, Lampard. So they'll be playing in the MLS next year when they get relegated. Um, Everton, brutal. And the reason I kind of loop Chelsea and Everton together is because these are the warning shots that the owners do not want to see. And these kinds of struggles are going to, what ultimately going to form this NFL of Europe. Hey, I just spent $6.3 billion on Manchester United. If we get knocked down and we're playing Bolton on Saturdays and Dagenham and Redbridge on Friday nights, I'm not going to make my money back. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's unfortunate Everton would be bad enough, but a, a Chelsea friend of mine, real good friend said, uh, you know, we were doing some math and if this, if the season had 41 games instead of 38, that Chelsea would be in real trouble of going down Chelsea. Well, and they, they've had a rough run like over oh, the last geez. few weeks. Okay. Yeah. But they've like, also I mean, spent not not to mention what they spent for the club, but they've spent five hundred ninety million on players. Well, they have the worst manager in football. Well, this is there's, there's some bigger issues there. The owner coming in and you know talking about stocks and bonds to his to his multilingual blocker room probably isn't the best idea either. Um, and then of course you know Newcastle got turned over at home today by Arsenal. Tough tough result for Arsenal. They're tough kids. They're just not going to be good enough to win the league. But you know Newcastle's been been right there so you got you know it, it, half the league so there's 20 teams eight to nine maybe even 10 teams could be playing on labor day weekend they all kick off at the same time there's only three games away could be playing for millions of dollars and maybe four or five trophies because you've got manchester cities in the european cup the fa cup final finals and they're going to win the league so they can win a treble then you got West Ham in the in the Europa League Conference League, um, so that last weekend and that because the, the FA Cup this year is until June third and the European Cup is way late June tenth. Um, it's going to be really interesting. But think about a time 
when half the league, I'm not talking about the guys 13, 14, 15th place. I'm talking about the guy. I mean, it's going to be bloody. What, uh, are your, what are your thoughts on uh, the teams coming in, John, as far as Sheffield United and so we so we got that's a really good question. We got Sheffield United, you know, who was this close to going to the FA Cup semifinal or or final. I can't remember when they got knocked out. And that's a very famous football city, Sheffield Wednesday, who John Harks played for, and um, where they had the big um, nightmare incident with Liverpool uh, years ago. Um, but Sheffield United is going to be tough to play against. And then Vincent Company, the Belgian defender that was at City forever, is the manager of Burnley. Burnley's coming up, and the I don't know if you, a lot of people in this country don't watch the championship, but it is fast and it is direct. And once they come into the league, if they don't get all like oh, I'm playing at Old Trafford, then they could cause some damage. And a lot of people think Burnley might be up to stay for a while. You might remember Norwich was up and down, up and down, up and down for a while. Fulham was like that. Fulham is now playing very well. Brighton is one of the best teams in Europe statistically, which is unbelievable. I don't know if you guys have watched them play, but this Alistair kid, the, the Argentinian in midfield that Liverpool wants to pay like $80 million for is a great player. They beat United the other day. And this Paraguayan kid in Cizo or in Cizo up front is silky with the ball. Like he plays kind of a reserve number nine and sometimes they let him jump, jump up on the last defender. I mean, he is, they've got some good players and they were kind of, very kind of cocky against United. They were like putting their foot on the ball and looking around and knocking it. It was kind of kind of interesting. Um, but you know they're, they're they have a tough run in. But uh, but yeah. And who's the third team? Do we know? Or are they in a playoff? Playoff. Luton Town is one of the. It's Luton Town and Middlesbrough, I believe. Okay, so Middlesbrough has one of the um, best academies they're used to in Europe, and then Luton, you know, is in London. That Luton Airport's a nightmare. Well, um, Luton Town also has the stadium that looks like it's in somebody's house. There we go. Like the gate, the no joke, the gates. Like I actually, so when I saw that they might have a chance of coming up, I uh, called friend of the show, um, Jurgen Summer, and said, "You played there, right?" And he was like, "I sure did." You sure did. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so are these videos that they're showing of the stadium where it looks like you're walking into somebody's front door to get into the gate of the stadium legit? Like, you walk in, and there's, like, scaffolding that gets you to the seats. So amazing. I've never been to the stadium. Like, um, I, I saw this video. It was somebody posted it on – it was either TikTok or YouTube or something where they were showing, like, the walk to get into the stadium. They're like, this stadium is going to be in the Premier League next year, quite possibly. And, you know, we had Jurgen on the show. Greg Deutsch got on the show a couple years ago, right, Bob? Yeah. Yeah. He, was yeah, great. he played at Bolton, too. Yeah. yeah he was great. Um, since we did have a Dutch guy on the show and he brought up total football, I don't know if you guys saw Ted Lasso last week, but they talked about total football. They did. They, they, did. Kind, of, they kind of oversimplified it. But, again, that show is not about foot soccer. It's about being nice to people and, and caring about people's feelings. But it's nice that they brought up total football, which brought me up to my favorite system or misnomer in the world, which the Italians call catenaccio, which literally means door bolt or the lock. And a lot of people misconstrue what this means. And you both coach, EV coaches, used to coach, I used to coach. So I wanted to kind of just clarify this and maybe somebody out there will actually take the time to figure this out. 
the, the continuity or the lock, the Italians call it, is not packing it in or what they said about Jose Mourinho, parking the bus. It is about nullifying opportunities to score. So that meant not, not necessarily playing defensively like a Christmas tree and just letting them serve balls like Normandy all day or letting them keep the ball. It meant whatever the other team did well. So you might have to lock down their midfield and you might let them play in behind you. Now, most Italian goalkeepers are liners, so a lot of them didn't do that. But that by no means by no means does that mean that that's the way the Italians play. Jurgen Klopp attributes um, Arici Saki, the famous AC Milan manager, with being what he emulated and how he developed his pressing game, what the Germans called Gesen pressing. Saki was an Italian guy, and he believed in taking young players and running them into the ground and causing panic everywhere. So it's something to, you know, another thing, you know, when you're United States national team and you're playing Holland in the World Cup, it, it might have been smart to to think that way rather than go, hey, you know, we're just, just as good as Holland. So that's the only reason I bring up systems. We had a Dutch guy on here, uh, and I was like that word, cut the nacho, because it is about results in the tournaments, right? Am I am I correct in the cut being the, the system that, Pretty much introduced the sweeper or the libero. Yes. Is that correct? Libero, yeah. Libero. And then when Beckenbauer got a hold of it, he became like the attacking one, right, Bone? He became yes. more. I'm just going to go because nobody can account for me. No one's going to account for me. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's oh, what kind of like the, the you know the, the the football people, the American football people. They call the linebacker the spy. So when you have these new quarterbacks that are so mobile, they sit there and their job is the quarterback. So they mirror the quarterback. It's yeah. And nobody was thinking that way. And Beckenbauer would just take off as girls. Um, so uh, very, very interesting. But anyway, I, I love this show so much because we, we, we have fun and we, but we talk about real things and, and young coaches should know look, there's no rule that says you got to take the ball to the end line and cross it to score a goal. I mean, Every top team in the world right now is playing left-footed wingers on the right, right-footed wingers on the left. And Alex Ferguson was doing that with Giggs and Beckham 30 fucking years ago. So we got to throw the books out the window. I'm we doing it right. More I'm doing it right now with U10s. <laughs> we need to, we need we need to watch more games and we need to say I don't have the players that can beat people for pace and can get it to the end line and pop it back in. But I have guys that can beat guys one-on-one -on -one in tight spaces. Maybe I'll just change the way I play. So there's always a way to win a game. And as a Brazilian guy said when I first got out of college, he would, I say this all the time, he goes, it is never the player's fault. And Thomas Rungan said this similarly tonight. Put a guy in a position where he's going to be successful. Now, Bruce Arena was listening to the visiting locker rooms, which, by the way, at that time in basketball was Dean Smith and Mike Krzyzewski. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, he learned a little bit. But that's very cool that he said that. Um, but you put a player in a position to be successful in, in how you're going to win a game. Um, and that doesn't mean that you have to do certain things. You, you watch games and just change it. Make your, make Be, be creative. Um, so anyway, I just thought that was really interesting. The total football got me thinking about that. And yes, we all love Ted Lasso, but it's not about football. Um, I had some Thomas Rungan questions, but I was so intimidated I didn't ask any one of them. So I wanted to end up with this, Greg and... <laughs> Ryan, so the three old goalies in five years, Paramount buys the rights to this show, and they're going to cast each one of us in in who's going to play us, us four, in the show. So 
I'm going to go first on the people that I picked to play the four old goalies here, the three old goalies and our producer. And then you guys can take that minute. Because So those of you that are listening, we did not rehearse this or prepare this. I'm putting them on the spot. Um, so here's, here's what I picked for the movie version of the three old goalies. And what I was thinking for a name, one of it would be, would be the three old goalies. <laughs> I mean, okay. that's original. That's, All right. That's good. So, so the first, the first one is Ryan. I picked you for Paul Giamatti. <laughs> that's a good one. Because, right. because you're, you're, you're quick on your feet. You're a linguist. He's an Oscar winning actor. Somewhat of a resemblance, I think. So can Whatever. I say who I would pick for myself? Go for it. Kevin James. Kevin, I don't know who that is. The only Kevin James I yeah, know you is do. the guy you from do. the did you ever watch? Show. Did you ever watch um, King of Queens? Yeah, that, that's who I thought that was. That is who it is. But he's, Bring that he's, picture back up. He's thinned out a little bit. Now he's got a beard. That's Kevin James. Yes. What's an old picture look like, Ryan? Um, he looks a little not he like looks real, He looks really thin. Because yeah, Leah, Leah Romani was super hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, hold on. Here we go. I found one. I had to, I had to dig real fast. There you go. The King of Queens. So Paul Giamatti, Ryan, Kevin James. Yeah, I got fine. it. Yeah. Uh, so good. Mudbone, for you, kind of an actor. He's been in some movies, but not really. But a penultimate, because you love music so much, music guy, multi-billionaire producer. I thought, because they used to do this great show we were growing up called Raider Record on Saturdays on American Bandstand, playing Greg Deutsch, Dick Clark. He did, yo. But he did. <laughs> but I was like, that'd be great, but he's it, dead. <laughs> I know. But, but anyway, so so Greg, Greg, do you have any thoughts on who we yes. like hey, to play? Yes, you? I do. Billy okay. Crystal. Billy Crystal. Wow. All right. Wow, that's so good. What what about can we can we have Ryan Seacrest play Greg? Because Ryan Seacrest replaced Dick Clark on New Year's Rock and Eve. Well, first of all, uh, uh, Greg, Deutsch is, Greg Deutsch is not a douchebag asshole. Oh, uh, so we're going to come we're gonna on. Billy Crystal. Right. And, and, and another cool thing, I don't know if you guys have seen Billy Crystal do the thing at Muhammad Ali's funeral. Yes. It is one of the coolest, funniest things you will ever see. It's amazing. But you need to look that up. Um, for EV, I picked Ray Donovan, Liev Schreiber. Lev Schreiber? You know who Lev Schreiber is? I do not. Okay, oh, there's a show on HBO about a mobster, uh, Greg, called called Ray Donovan. And he's like a tough guy, but he talks in this real deep voice, and he's a big square guy like E.V. But if you imagine E.V. in his coaching heyday with the handlebar mustache, I'm telling you, this guy would scare the shit out of you. Oh, and it's I got perfect. You. Yeah, so we need to get a picture of that up on the website. But Lev Schreiber, and we'll see what E.V. says about that. There we go. Yeah. So that would be like a 38-year-old, 45-year-old EV right there. Okay. All right. Um, and then I thought about myself, which I know isn't fair because you guys didn't get to do it, but it is my segment, so I'm going to fucking pick the actors I would want to play me. So really, what does an actor do? An actor pretends to be something that they are not. So I thought the first person I would pick to play John Boa would be Don Garber, commissioner of the MLS. Because he's pretending to run a league and he's pretending to know about soccer. So if he can do that, he can easily play me. Fair? 
Mm, uh, I mean, well, I couldn't, I couldn't say that on while Thomas was on because he, he, he could lose his job. Um, or I was thinking maybe Cindy Parlow, the president of U.S. Soccer, um, or this guy Will Wilson, who's the CEO of U.S. Soccer. I don't even know who that is or what he does. But those three people, Cindy Parlow, Garber, or this guy Will Wilson, who is the CEO of U.S. Soccer. One of those three actors could could easily play John Boa. But if I had to be serious, I was going to say Woody Allen. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, Because he has the best line ever. 80% of life is just showing up. So if you just show up on time with a smile on your face and you add a little bit of cleverness. All right. and, yeah, Woody Allen. I got so mine. That. I got mine. Unless, Ryan, Go. you got yours. Go for it. Yeah, good. Michael Keaton. Okay, Batman. I like I it. Batman. Yeah, no, that would actually that would be a good one. But can we get, can we get him when he's like in the not in the Batcave? Like we got to get him in some other like in Mr. Cleaning, Mom. In the I want the Mr. Mom room. Michael Keaton, not the not the Batman Michael Keaton, right? Like the you remember that you remember that movie Night Shift he did when he and Fonzie were the uh, Undertakers? It was hilarious. <laughs> and they were running a brothel out of a, a yeah. A morgue. Um, Michael Keaton's a good one. Thank you, Bone. That's a Yeah, that is a good one. All right. Um, but other than that, the U.S. <laughs> soccer thing and the MLS thing is driving me crazy, and it doesn't keep me awake any night uh, anymore. But I, 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 I need to figure out a way to help. Um, they just remind me of like you know the guy that you, you everybody brings beer to a party or a bottle of wine, and then at the end of the night, there's people that go in the fridge and they take their beer that's left and take it home. That's what these people remind me of. Or your roommate that like leaves an empty carton of a 12-pack of beer in the fridge, so you think there's beer in the fridge, but then you're like, oh, you go to the store. I don't need beer because Steve left the beer. And then you go to grab a beer, and it's an empty carton. That's what the United States reminds me of when it comes to soccer. There's nothing there. Or they take what are they, there's just, it sucks. Are you excited about the men's under twenty World Cups that started? It started today, right, Ryan? It started Ooh, today, and I, I know nothing. So. And I will, okay. I'm going to read on that this week because I'm going to talk right. about it next week. All right. But did you hear when Thomas Rangan was talking about the under twenties, the, the players they were playing against, Mascherano, who went, who's probably his transfer fees added up to about two hundred million. The defensive midfielder played all over Europe, Luis Suarez, and all the Brazilians. That's unbelievable. The Chad Marshall was statement was hilarious. Unbelievable. Yeah, so the, the U twenty World Cup technically starts the twentieth. Oh, why did I think May. Today? why did I think so, this? Okay. Well, I, I think they had a friendly. Then oh, they have like okay. like a friendly this week. Just U twenties U twenties twenty May. So we will yeah. do a U twenty preview maybe next weekend. Yeah. So now the interesting part of when he was talking about some of those names. And like knowing that we beat them in a lot of cases at U twenty, yeah. I wanted, and I I didn't ask because I didn't want to sound like a, a jerk, but I wanted to ask what happened between when they were U twenties and then they were on the senior team. I can tell you exactly what fucking happened: college soccer or the APSL. I guess, but that's why he said that now all our kids yeah, are overseas. Like, yeah, yeah, and I I just I wanted to like kind of dig into it a little bit more. But I knew we were kind of on like a little bit of a time crunch at that point in the show. And I was like, oh, I would love to get into this question because I think that we know that the kids that are playing on the, the and I say kids because they are to us, I guess, um, on the U.S. men's national team at this point, like 
they're playing overseas at a very young age um, instead of going and playing in college in a lot of cases. Well, Bone, um, you remember when our U15s and U17s would go to the quarterfinals and the semifinals. Absolutely. I, I, I think it's a mixture, Ryan, of overseas and certainly the academies, as you and I have discussed before. Um, and, and you're seeing it more from the homegrown players and through there than actually uh, the kids going overseas at this stage right now. They're getting some MLS time, as you know, we, we're seeing. Um, so obviously that's going to be the continued path uh, of yeah. the uh, program. But how does that work though when they're when they have to start in this tournament May twentieth? Every league in the world is still playing, and the MLS is not even in the middle of their season yet. Are there any tw under twenties making an impact in MLS? Yeah, Chicago, and that's why they're not letting them go. Okay, so yeah, that's <laughs> so that's, yeah. I mean, that's Chicago's roster is so light um, that they couldn't let them go. If they let, they would be letting two of their eleven go if they did it. Um, well, then, and, then it's not a serious tournament. It's like the Olympics. Then you know, not, nobody else takes the Olympics seriously except us and, and the well, women. So. Yeah. So let's take into let's just go back to the U17s for a second. It, who is the most successful team in the U17 World Cup? Who has the most titles? Do you think Spain or Brazil? All right, Greg. What do you think? Japan uh, or Ghana? Uh, no, U17. Uh, ooh. I, I, it's somebody that we're not going to think of. Yeah, there Nigeria. are some weird Nigeria. Nigeria. That's it, yeah. Greg. Nigeria. You're right. Yeah, there are some weird winners. Yes. That's... Yeah. So Nigeria on, has five. Props. Brazil give me, has give four. Me props. Give me big props time. Yeah. I mean, that's a big yeah. one. Like that I is. like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have guessed that. Like I looked and was like, oh, okay. Um, definitely not. Not something that that I expected. Um, Super Eagles. Super yeah, Eagles. But, Green Eagles. I mean, there's Green Eagles. So if you. So if we go to the U20, who do you think has the most at U20? Spain, Brazil, or Germany? Argentina. Argentina. England won it. Damn, Greg, how do you know these? I <laughs> England, won it, England won it for the first time, only time, I think, like four or eight years ago. Greg, Greg got it, like right on. He said what Argentina. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, like... <laughs> that makes sense. You got it. You got it. Um, now the current U twenty champion is is kind of off the wall as well. Um, the Ukraine holds the current. Oh wow! wow. Yeah. Um, and then the one that the one that's real interesting for for me, and this I don't know if you guys will even on the women's side U seventeens, uh, most successful teams Sweden. Norway. What's the, what's the difference? Spain. No. Oh. And North Korea. Wow, that is weird. North Korea has two U17 championships in the women's side. That's really weird. Like that, that one, I saw that and went, wait, that can't be right. Like I, <laughs> I had to do a double take on it. Um, but yeah, so um, not one that I expected. But there's a lot of like. There's a lot of really good soccer played at those tournaments, even though like some clubs aren't letting their players go. So um, yep. the U20s will be a good watch. Because um, FIFA recognizes the Olympics for men, not women, for, for men as a, as a under-23 tournament, I think. Yes. Okay. For the men, yes. And the women, okay. it's open. Okay. 
But it's a real, it's um, a real thing for the women. It's the women World Cup teams playing it. You're right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, I think that's it, boys. So, uh, that should wrap it up. I mean, we're gonna have a. I'm gonna have to split this baby up. We're probably gonna do a two episode for this one, which is fine. Well, y'all were both great, and that was the Rungan thing. Bone was tremendous. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I know who he is, but obviously he doesn't know who I am. Which always <laughs> makes me think of two things. Like, I think for people like him, he needs to know that there's a lot of people like us out there that know who he is already. And also that for me, it tells me that there's a lot more people that should know who he is. Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, so John Boa, you got a week. We are supposed to have next week Joey Elsmore. I will be there. I've got Joey's cell phone number. I can do a little of my own thing. But he's a Jersey boy that came to North Carolina, like so many of our friends did, to play college soccer. That'll be a good one. And and yes. ran Nike promotions forever. Yes. Well, are we? We're not limited on scope either, right? We can because he's no longer with Nike. Right. He, right. He could, I don't he think could he... say he could say I can't answer that, but there's no right. question that. No, yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, right. I I think. What he shared with me was about money. So I'm not sure what he meant. So, well, he uh, probably can't tell you what they paid for Manchester United, but we can ask. No, him. but he could give us, you know, that's funny you say that because I definitely want to know uh, what you've just sort of alluded to. What, what, you know, what, what do they pay for a national team? How do they determine, Ryan? You know, you've talked about some things with me. That would expand into this from CONCAF, but it would be more maybe in him, you know, what, uh, why'd they sign that player? Now, he won't maybe say how much they exactly signed for, but again, if he could give us a range, you know, that's all we want without him, quote unquote, getting in trouble. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I don't even necessarily want to know the dollar amounts. I want to know what, oh, I do. Into. I want <laughs> I to know, a lot of, but do. a lot of the dollar amounts are public for the pro teams and the national teams. That's not a, but, you know, the players and, you know, Nike is one of the reasons they're successful fiscally, even in down times, is because they build in the cost of their athletes into the landed cost of their product. So right. when everybody else is saying, OK, the shoelace costs this much, the island costs this much, the upper and the outsole costs this much, then we put it together and we put it on a boat, then we get it to Long Beach, California, then we get it to the warehouse in Ohio, and then we get it to Greg Deutsch's wall. You know, there's all those stages of different pricing. In that process, Nike builds in the money they're going to pay, you know, Serena Williams and Andre Agassi and Ronaldo. Absolutely. Yeah. My my big question is, is Nike even remotely interested in the the um, MLS jersey deal? Nike is the marketing company. They're going to do anything that's going to make. Uh, money. I'll, I'll try to answer that. And that's a, myself. We know that they, that they. We they know Adidas are. just re-upped it, they, right? They are, but. It's a fight of who gets what cities, and they don't want to go down that path. Yeah. So I if mean, you look at the way, if you look at the way Nike does the English Premier League, so they have Barcelona as a global icon, but then they have local local teams like Tottenham is a local team, Chelsea is a global team, uh, Liverpool is a is a global team. Barcelona is a global team. Real Madrid, Veridinus is a global team. Then they have it. Then they break it down by London, Tokyo, uh, Munich, Los Angeles. So that's what Greg's talking about, or what Brian's yeah. talking about. Yeah. yeah, I think the question, the thing for me is like, nobody would have at Nike could have possibly thought that FC Cincinnati was going to have the highest selling jersey in the United States 
when they came into the USL. But like, there's no way the anybody high, in that's the highest selling right. jersey, American jersey too. That's not you, right, 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 right. right. Like, I, I totally agree with you, Ryan. No but, one would forecast that at all. No one would have forecast I mean, that. You're like, right. and then they're like, "Hey, we're gonna release an alternate," and then they sold out within less than 24 hours. Yeah, and they were like, "Oh, I guess we have to release more," and then those sold out. And but then, we're like, for talking apples and oranges. We're talking like the same way that Nike. Or the media has blown the women's World Cup way out of proportion. It doesn't create a hundredth of the revenue the men's does at right. the retail level. Right. So, yeah. So anyway, we can talk about that next week. But uh, that's good stuff to know. Greg. So that's that's two weeks, Greg. Right? No, next week. Next next week. Oh, I thought you said the twentieth. No, I didn't say anything. I said next week, thirteen May. All right. Yeah, the twentieth is the twentieth. We're referring to is the uh, you. U20 uh, Men's World Cup started. Okay. Well, I will be in Atlanta that weekend. And, Brian, I'm going to an Atlanta uh, MLS game. I'm sitting in the UPS box. So I will oh, nice. record a, a promo for you from the MLS, from the UPS Brown Box at the Atlanta Stadium on the Wednesday, the 17th of May. Do we need to hook you up with Billy Hartman? Uh, I got his number. Okay. But the, the UPS guys are taking me, so it'll, I'll, I'll, hopefully if he's there, I'll get him to come up and have a beer with us. So we'll be able to track you. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so Just begin you, with a Z. Since you live in, in Boulder, are you going to wear a Colorado Rapids kit to that match since that's who they're playing? I'm a Liverpool supporter. I don't care. <laughs> he didn't ask that. <laughs> that wasn't my question. <laughs> like, well, and also, I'm also a gentleman, kind of. So I don't wear away shit to other people's oh, stadiums oh, when no, they no, invite me. I'm oh, a guest. Uh, I am a guest of Atlanta UPS. I'm not going to wear a Colorado jersey and be a jerk off like the like the New Jersey Devils guy in Raleigh last week. I mean, I'm that jerk off. I would still wear my gear. Well, you can't do that. <laughs> I well, thought you, Ryan, you were going to go. You'd be wearing your FedEx jersey. I would probably. Uh, yeah, uh, I would right. find. I well, would you find know, a FedEx one just for fun. You know, you can't do that. Also, all kidding aside, in, in Europe, you can't do that. They won't let you in the stadium. Yeah, well, so, side note, and related, you cannot wear the opposing team colors in the FC Cincinnati supporter section. Yeah, you should. In, like, in Cincinnati. And There's a huge like, sign before you walk down there. Yeah. Like, if you're in the away team colors, do not come down here. And if but, you do that at a Raiders game in Los Angeles, they will pee on you. If there's a Raiders game in to Los Angeles, it's another problem. With, yeah, yeah. Um, that's your initiation. That's it. Yeah, that's All expected. Right. All right. Have a good night, gents. Good yeah. job. Thanks for listening and watching the Three Old Goalies. Be sure to join us next time. Just like, subscribe, so you don't miss out on any of our great content. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter. Can't get enough of the three old goalies? Be sure to check us out at www.3oldgoalies.com.